Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norton. I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. As we have a look at the last week or so in film, including at the end of this podcast, a review of the new Christopher Nolan film Interstellar, uh, with a spoiler alert as well. Um, but before that, we've got all the usual bits and pieces, starting off with the quiz, where I am winning 1-0 after guessing last week's answer on the first go, on the first roll of the dice. Not that I'm bragging. Humble brag. <laughs> mm, I'm still thinking I'll shenanigans. I'll be amazed if you get it this time. <laughs> okay. I've got, I've got a humdinger. Shall we go? Yes, do it. Let's right. go. Let's, Let's roll. Alright, so we're going to go back to 1992 first of all, uh, before Owen was born I think, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Beethoven. Right, no, I don't know. No, Steve? Mm, no, not sure. Well, unless it's Rick no. Moranis, but I don't think it is, and I don't. Th- I can't even remember if he was in that or not. Unless it was who? Rick Moranis? Was no, he in, was he in Beethoven? No. I don't think so, anyway. Okay. What are you talking about, Owen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, 92? I told you and... before he was born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so 1993, uh, Pelican Brief. Don't even know that one. I've heard of it. I don't know who's in it. Well, I can't tell you that because it would ruin the <laughs> idea of the quiz, obviously. Yeah. It's true. No, no one? Nope, not even going. Oh, no. Uh, no. I'm going to skip forward a little bit now because there's a lot of uh, unknown stuff on here. It's 1997 and A Life Less Ordinary. I primarily remember that film from the Ash soundtrack, by the way. I don't actually remember the film at all. That's been sitting on my Sky Planner. I looked at that, was it two days ago? And thought, oh, I should give that a go. And then I changed my mind <laughs> and watched something else. So I probably um, would have guessed that it. Might have, that might have played right into my wheelhouse. What is You're... a wheelhouse? I've no, I've never I've heard ne- that. That is a I've new expression. Life. I've heard that phrase mostly on American stuff. I don't know what a wheelhouse is. I imagine it's a house where a wheel of some kind is is Steve, situated. Are we leading up to a guess or not? <laughs> no, no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> I'm soaking. I'm soaking Owen out. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to skip forward now to 1999. In too deep. I don't think I've seen any of these films except Beethoven. It's pretty bad, isn't it? I think I'm in the same boat as, as Steve. Nothing? No. No. Alright. Um, 2001, America's Sweethearts. Not seen that. <laughs> no, I don't think nope. anyone did. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. 
No, unless it's Matthew McConaughey. Seems no. like something he might have done around that time. No, okay. No. Uh, you must have seen this. 2002 Rotep Edition. I have seen that, but I can't think of anyone who would have been in that and... Beethoven. It's going to be one of the kids, isn't it? It's going to be one of the kids from Beethoven who's a grown-up in Rotep Edition. Or older than what he was in. That, that kind of well, doesn't really right. help I much think that's because taken, it's like ten years afterwards. That's how that's how older. that's how time works. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe saying, not. Maybe not after Interstellar. Who knows what time hmm. does? Are we saying no? Yeah, I'm saying no. I'm saying no. I don't know who was in it. I thought I had a good one, but I wasn't. I wasn't sure it's going to be this good. Um, 2004, The Terminal. Ah, <gasps> uh, yeah. What's his name? He was in the recent Transformers film as well. Uh, 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 what's his name? It's right on the tip of my tongue. The bald guy. He wears glasses a lot. He's got a beard. Stanley Tucky. Tucky. Yes. Hang on. Owen didn't say Owen first. And I was going to guess that. So, you know. He's technically... I'll let you have that. But technically, you shouldn't have done. Because you did it wrong. Well yeah. done, I mean, I've, Yeah, I'm going to allow it, come on. Yes, yeah, I mean, I there was a lot of, like, there was a bit of thinking out loud there, but I think... Yeah, I couldn't have helped him along then, didn't I, really? <laughs> yeah, an amazing uh, Stanley Tucci. Uh, I don't know why I picked him, actually. Oh, because uh, Hunger Games is out. Oh, it's his birthday today, that's why. He's on the front of my own <laughs> Um <laughs> And also, he's in the Hunger Games, obviously. But, uh, yeah, he's been in so much stuff, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, uh, so, after that... You've got Robots, Lucky Number 7, Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm. He was in some of Monk as well, which I really liked. I don't remember him from that. He was in ER. I definitely remember him, him in that. Lovely Bones, Space Chimps and Space Chimps 2. Zartog Strikes Back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's been in loads. And obviously he was the, the doctor in Captain America. Who, I, uh, yeah, I, but I remember him in the terminal. Thing. He was pretty good in the terminal. I quite he's like pretty good in everything, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Stanley Tucci. I'll, I'll always watch him in something. If, if he's in something, I'll watch it. Yeah. Not always a, a mark of quality, but he's always pretty watchable. Hmm. Well done, Owen. Thank you, thank you. I'll pat myself on the back. So mm. that's that's one all in the uh, in the quiz. Sorry, Steve. Exciting. Uh, funnily enough, Steve, there was actually one of his um, films is Made in Manhattan, and I thought you were trying to <laughs> do me over with the whole Aunt May discussion where we were. Uh, brainstorming potential ideas for her film. Well, that, that segues nicely into the news then, <laughs> uh, as, as we've got a whole bumper edition of, of news this week, uh, starting off with um, Sony, is it Sony? Probably is, wanting yeah, to do a, a Spider-Man spin-off, an Aunt May movie. Um, sounds exciting, doesn't it? I don't know where people keep getting this crap. It's scraping just... the bottom of the barrel, isn't it, for an Aunt May movie? Who's I, the audience for that? Well, that there was a um, there was a throwback uh, series like Marvel did do a series for Aunt May when she was like a kid, or not a kid, but she was like a young woman. Uh, but it was weird, and I wouldn't really like to see it. It's not really my first pick of, of stories I like to see on the big screen. But I don't know where I don't know who's coming out with all this Sony stuff because you know, first of all, obviously you have got Amazing Spider-Man three, and then they want to make this big universe with the Sinister Six, and hmm. now they're not doing that anymore. What are they doing? What are you doing, Sony? Just Tell us what you're doing, please. Throwing money away, just, basically. Just sell the rights back to Marvel. Well, they probably could do it now. I mean, I've made the point here before that I think it's actually a good thing that they have 
Spider-Man, because I think otherwise we'd probably have about Spider-Man 5 from Marvel by now. <laughs> and we'd only, we'd only just be getting around to Avengers. Um, but I, I can still see Spider-Man being loaned to Marvel. Yeah, but... I can absolutely see that. Uh, the problem is with Sony, is as a big company, they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, Sony Pictures is doing alright. It's about the only profitable arm of the business. But I can definitely see... I can definitely see benefits from both sides in in that in that deal, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Uh, yeah, so mm. that was that was one really not really bit of news that anyone was interested in, <laughs> but but just a bit of a joke. Uh, other news though, uh, Star Wars has got its title for the episode seven. Uh, this going to be called The Force Awakens, and filming has wrapped on that now as well. Um, I think it's December release next year, so we're only about 13 months away from the next uh, edition of the Star Wars franchise. Owen couldn't care less, could he? He couldn't, no. He's pretty... No, no I'm just not going to stop doing that. No, I'm not that excited, no. to be honest. I could care less. <laughs> Couldn't care less. Sorry. Yeah. Couple of couple of right bloody misery. Star Wars is great. I have faith in this film being um, not as good as the originals, but better than the prequels. But then I could probably make a film better than the prequels that's, with Lego yeah, Men. That, that's a low bar, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Revenge of the Sith wasn't too bad. The other two were pretty wank. They did get better as they went on, I think. Yeah. I quite liked the final talk. fight in the third film. That was pretty good. With, when, uh, when they stopped, when they stopped talking about tax routes and trade <laughs> blockades for a, for what is essentially a, a children's family adventure film, then it got better. There was, I remember, I actually did go to the cinema to watch all three prequels, like not not always on purpose. And um, I remember the first, the the prequel one, and I haven't seen it for a long time, so I am paraphrasing the the title "Cruel" for the first one. The first sentence is something like taxation routes in the empire continue to be blocked. And at that point I was like, this isn't going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> when that's the first thing you put on your title crawl. <laughs> but I think the first yeah. one was okay-ish when you were a little kid because there was a lot of stuff like the um, pod racing and stuff like that, which I seem to remember. The pod, was, the pod race was, was excellent. Yeah, the pod yeah. race was excellent. But there was another two and a quarter hours of film around that. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't really good enough. And, and the, light, even the, lightsaber, the lightsaber fight with Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon and Darth Maul was pretty cool as well. Yeah. Oh, other yeah. Than, other than that, was. yeah, it was a pretty rubbish film. It was. All round. Very few redeeming features. Yeah. Um, not even Liam Neeson could save it. No. Maybe maybe I should just introduce his him as a, a new Jedi with his character from Taken, but kind of <laughs> as a Jedi. Going for the going for the over sixties market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Other news: Hunger Games is going to be made into a, a stage show or a play or something. Or... Well, if people actually die, then that could be quite interesting. I mean, if they can actually go a bit further than they do in the in the films, like make it more like Battle Royale. Then I think I could be alright. No, I'm interested. I'm not a huge fan of the Hunger Games films. Well, I've only seen the first one, to be honest. I will go and see, I will see the second one at some point. Uh, I quite like the book, so I have to be honest. It's sort of like a, a bit of a, a guilty admission. Not a guilty pleasure, because I don't believe in them. But, um, yeah, it could be quite interesting, I think, depending on what, what they do with it. It's, it's something that is definitely ripe for that sort of treatment. But they have to make it a bit gorier, in my mind. Mm. 
Yeah, they're not great films, though. I've seen the second one, and I didn't like the first one anyway. I was going to drag along to the second one, and I think I'm going to be dragged to the, the third one as well. But you're right, they're just like, for, for things that are about death games, where people kill each other, they're very friendly. They get Well, by definition, they're not, not allowed to be that violent, are they? No. So, mm, a stage musical, I can't imagine. Is it a musical or just a play? Or No, I think it's like some interactive um, interactive thing. So they're going to build an arena next to Wembley. Uh, and um, you get to you get to go in and kill the the cast. You get to go in and kill <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, nice! So it's not like Jennifer Lawrence's character's Enter Dex Factor or something like that. Then it's not. I don't, a, I don't think a daft so. Musical. No, <laughs> well, I don't okay. know. It could be. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be interested to see what the um what it's like. I think that could be that could be something that'd be good for an interactive experience. Yeah, probably be about sixty seventy quid for a ticket at the back. Oh, yeah, I'd be... bought for that, to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah, if you're actually getting to kill off Peter, then that's quite <laughs> worth it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know who these people are. Or well, a hologram of Philip Seymour Hoffman would be pretty good. Oh yeah, that would be good. Uh, other news: Quentin Tarantino has said he will quit making films after his tenth. Uh, he's got the Hateful Eight coming out. Um, I'm not sure when that's actually due out. I think it's perhaps next year. Um, but anyway, he said he's got two more after that and he'll leave a ten-film filmography. I can't believe he's done ten. But yeah. Well, yeah, I guess he has, hasn't he? He's done, he's done obviously, seven plus eight for eight. And yeah, so he's seven oh, with so one. Not up to ten. Oh, right, yeah. hateful no, eight won't be the tenth. No, he said yeah, he'll quit after ten, so he's oh, got two right. more two more after hateful eight. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, he's got seven in the bag and one yeah. getting put into the bag. Charlie we'll Tatum's going to be in Hateful Eight. It's quite an interesting idea. Yeah, I guess. Well, he's he's become quite a good actor now, hasn't he? I was going to say I've seen him in Foxcatcher, and he is very, very, very good. Hmm. I can I can understand why he's getting more and more. And obviously, he's got comedy comedy chops from Twenty Two Jump Street as well. He's no he's longer like he's, he's no longer Channing Tatum from Step Up, is he? He he's no longer <laughs> yeah. like the punchline to the joke. Who would you have in a Tarantino film, Channing Tatum? He's actually like, oh yeah, he's he's like the reconnaissance Mark Two, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Tarantino's got a good rap of getting really good performances out of people you wouldn't expect. You know, Pam Grier even in Jackie Brown. I bet nobody saw that coming, and she's brilliant in that. Yeah. So I like Jackie Brown. Yeah, it's a good film. Um, but also like Tarantino. I I reckon then if he's going to quit after ten, obviously it's pure speculation. I haven't even read the news articles because I'm unprofessional and don't do any research but he um he might move into being like a producer role because he's already sort of done that in in films with um robert rodriguez and that'd be quite good actually just to have him oversee maybe a studio of his own that produces films i don't know Mm. yeah i um, I feel sorry i was gonna say it wasn't isn't one of the films he planned on doing i don't know if this is this has gone away now but didn't he plan on um revisiting Brad Pitt's character from Inglorious Bastards and doing a prequel based on based on that group from that film. I didn't. I, I didn't know. hear that. No, that'd be quite I cool. Did, um, but I don't know if that if he plans to do every pass it to someone else or if that's now just kind of disappeared altogether. I like the idea of him being a producer though, because I think if he's left to his own devices, he can get a bit self-indulgent. Hmm. Uh, especially in the last kind of ten years, he was right before that. But um, I don't get me wrong. I still enjoy his films, but I do think definitely in his last few films there are there are big portions that can be cut. 
Um, Reservoir Dogs is a really lean film, and every part of it matters. Same with Pulp Fiction, even though it's two and a half hours long, everything matters in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. You can't really, I don't think you can really say that about uh, Django Unchained, for example. I think that could have done with it being 20 minutes shorter. Be, care- be careful, he will shut your butt down. <laughs> Shut my butt down. Yeah. yeah. Come at me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the final bit of news then for for this podcast is uh, Harry Belafonte has been handed an honorary Oscar. Uh, Carol, you know more about this one because you've actually done your research because in your head you're a professional critic. What in my <laughs> in my head? Yeah. yeah. I have no idea where this where this accusation has come from. <laughs> I've never, I've never claimed to be a professional anything. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, Harry Belafonte has been uh, given an honorary Oscar. Um, I think for his performances, but also for his um, kind of extra extracurricular work, shall we say, in uh, in supporting the the civil rights movement, etc. Um, but actually, because this all came from the Governor's Award um, a couple of days ago. But actually, the the part of that that I was most interested in was um, Hayao Miyazaki was also given an honorary Oscar because, you know, one isn't enough. And um, and he said during, well, at the ceremony somewhere, he said he was going to carry on making films. So, fantastic. He's going to be about, I don't know, 104 and still <laughs> making great films. Marvellous. I don't know where this puts The Wind Rises, though, because The Wind Rises does feel like a swan song hmm. in every way. Um but you know, <laughs> if he keeps if he keeps making films, then then more power to his elbow, frankly. Yeah, and his wrists and his fingers and all that individual hand-drawn frames that he's known for. Yeah. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say I don't think he actually draws the stuff anymore. That's just a hunch. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it would be good for him to to carry on because Studio Ghibli is pretty much done now, isn't it? I mean, there's not much. I don't think they've got any major projects in the pipeline now, have they? Got a few things, but not to my are they winding down? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's well, you know, he's only seventy-three. He could he could go on for a while? It's fine. I mean, look at uh, I don't know. Look at Harry Belafonte himself. He's eighty-seven, so you know, yeah, he could he could be he could keep going for a while. It's fine, and yeah. you know, he's Japanese. So he's gonna live forever anyway. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Why is old man making animated cartoons? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's all for part one. Then in part two is, as always, what we've been watching. In part two, then, we take a look at the films that we have seen over the last week or so that uh, aren't necessarily new releases. Um... Oh, why don't you start us off in this bit? Okie dokie. Um, so, I watched uh, the Lord of the Rings film, Fellowship of the Rings. And I have seen it before, but I watched it again because the third Hobbit film out is due uh, in cinemas in about a month's time. Literally a month, I think, from today's date. Uh, called Battle of Five Armies. Uh, and I actually quite enjoyed the Hobbit films, and I really wasn't expecting to. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't really like the Lord of the Rings films, to be perfectly honest, the first time round. Um, so I was kind of, I just went into the Hobbit expecting them to be pretty much shit, shitter versions of the Lord of the Rings, and came out thinking it was quite fun, it was quite a, a you know, an epic adventure type film, but it was actually really good. 
And I always wanted to rewatch The Lord of the Rings before the next Hobbit film comes out, sort of thing. And it's kind of got to the point now where, because they're so long, and the only films I've got on DVD are the extended editions, I thought I've got to make a start, like, right now, or I'm never going to get around to it. So I did. I, get, I rewatched um, Fellowship of the Rings for the first time since, well, when did it come out? 2002, so probably first time since then, really. Um, and, oh yeah, I also watched the first half of the extended edition of The Two Towers, the, the second film. Like I said, I never really liked them before. I always thought they were okay, but I did appreciate them for this kind of massive scale that they had, and the, the, the achievements that, that to actually get them filmed, uh, what an achievement it was by Peter Jackson. Um, but the first film, Fellowship of, uh, Fellowship of the Rings, really enjoyed it. It was so much better than I remembered it being. Um, and I know there's like a huge runtime, but the amount of stuff that's covered in in that film is astonishing, really. You know, there's more story, there's more character development, more exciting scenes in just the first 90 minutes of uh, Fellowship of the Rings than in the majority of the, the recent sort of two-plus-hour-long films that I've seen this year, all the ones that I've been... Sitting well, in the that's cinema, because waiting that's for them to probably, probably because it's got another hour and a half to actually kind of have orcs fighting elves. Yeah, and that's things, true. It's done, yeah, because it's already had an hour and a half of character development, so it can have another hour and a half of stuff fighting each other. Yeah, but even just in that 90 minutes, there was a lot of character development, but there was still a lot going on. There was still lots of things happening, and lots of story was being progressed. It wasn't just, you know, like in the first Hobbit film, they spend about 45 minutes in the Hobbit house. Uh, yeah. Doing, doing, <laughs> doing, doing, the doing the dishes exactly. singing, the, singing the lowest form of entertainment <laughs> yeah exactly um, but in this there was a lot going on I thought so I was really quite impressed with it um, and yeah it didn't really become a chore to finish it I was I was you know excited to see how it would, it would finish at this particular point because I, I had very little uh, actual memory of things that happened during the film you know, there's still, there's, I still have some problems with it. I don't think it's a perfect film. Elijah Wood, still not particularly sure about him. Um, I know the character is playing Frodo and he's a bit of a sap and everything, but... Yeah, the Hobbits sure are the Frodo. worst thing about the Lord of the Rings films, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because Viggo Mortensen and Sean Bean are great. The, those yeah. two are really good. You know, one is the sort of virtually infallible Shining Knight, Fallen King, you know. And the other was this corruptible everyman soldier. Um, they're, they're really interesting characters to, to, to play around with during this film. And they do. They get a lot of different things to do. And as I said, the development of the characters is, is pretty good. Um, you know, same with kind of Gimli and Legolas. They're, they add a bit of humour at times. And Legolas perhaps not so much humour. But, it, you know, they're, they're quite interesting support characters. And Gandalf. Of course, Saria McKellen was born for that role, and it's just you know the great characters really develop well, and it's very interesting and very entertaining. However, like I said, I've watched the first half of the two towers. I can't believe it when I went to watch the films on DVD. It's it's split in two discs. You have the first half of the film on one disc and the second half on another disc. That's pretty that, old school. Yeah. That's pretty old school. Um, so I watched the first disc of the two towers. And for large portions of that, I was getting pretty bored. Um, you know, it was my old boss who used to talk to me about films and stuff. He used to call them Hobbity Tosh. 
And that kind of describes the two towers quite a lot. There's a lot of hobbits being just quirky and uninteresting and that. And as Steve sort of said, you know, they're the worst thing about it. I really yeah, just had I've, little interest in them. Even, even though his, his journey is essentially the most important part of the story, I think from the two towers in Return of the King, you could quite happily cut out everything Frodo and Sam do until the ring goes into that m- m- volcano. That's right, yeah. Although, I mean, saying that, you get Gollum, who plays a major role in this, well, more, yeah. um, more of an important role, and his interactions with, with Frodo and Sam are some of the more, uh, some of the better parts of that film. And you know, the stuff with the Ents, it's not too bad, it's just that it seems to drag on a little bit, and I don't know whether that's because I'm watching the extended editions or not. Um, but that probably doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't help, does it? It just seems to drag on for ages. There's about 49 minutes of extra footage in the two towers, and it just oh, it seems oh, like it. Didn't... How many extra endings are there? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that where it feels like it's ending, <laughs> and then it carries on. And I'm only on the first disc of the second film. But also, Damn. you know, Christopher Lee isn't in it as much. Saruman isn't in the two towers as much, and I really liked him in the first film. I think he's... Well, um, yeah. He's very good. Um, Christopher Lee, but obviously, because he's Christopher Lee, but, um, that's how it works. He is in a film and he's good. But, you know, it, it, it's also got a weird, it's weird how there's a notable drop off in quality from the first film, considering they were all made at the same time. You know, they made and filmed the, the entire Hobbit films at the same time. It's weird how there can be just such a drop off in quality. I don't know, don't really know how that happened, because you'd expect it to just be more of the same. Bored. I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. The, the, Maybe it just lost a bit I, the, of direction. The thing I appreciated about the original trilogy, or the Lord of the Rings trilogy, compared to the Hobbit ones, was how they kind of just made everything. Rather than, mm. like, in, in the first Hobbit film, uh, they go into some bit where there's a load of goblins, and it's all CGI, and it's so obviously CGI. And in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, they just, like, if they wanted someone to be a goblin, they just dressed someone up as a goblin. Yeah. Yeah, and you say, oh, he's lump it. You're, you're a goblin for the day, mate. And, this and one, the makeup's just, brilliant. And the Hobbit, they're just like, oh, we need a goblin, right? We'll do it on a computer. And yeah. It, yeah, and they built they built big, massive sets for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and it just looked hmm. real. And and then the Hobbit trilogy, although they've enjoyed the films to an extent, it is quite obvious that what you're watching is fake. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, they came across a dra- like a proper dragon once. It looked nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, saw one in the zoo. It nothing like that. But the, you, you, I know what you mean, though. You get things like the guy who had bird shit on his face, the wizard with bird shit on his face in The Hobbit film, who was sledding along with his rabbits. Clearly, obviously, the only the way they could do one. that is... To, yeah, the crazy guy. The one who used to be Doctor Who. <laughs> the one who used to be Doctor Who, yes. Right. Yeah. No way. Yeah, the, one, the wizard with the rabbit sled... Was oh which one was it? He was a Doctor Who though. Was uh, he? But I he can't was. remember which which one. Oh, no, I don't know which to, one he was. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm gonna have to there do my research for once. <laughs> that's, that's blown my mind. Yeah. Was his name Randagast or something? I, something to like be honest, that. the most fun I've had ever with Lord of the Rings, and I'm gonna I've said this before. I'm gonna say it again. The Lego games are much much better <laughs> than the films. That's I've said it. It's out there. That tends to it's, be the case though, doesn't it? It's so, so, because so, it's so much funnier. Sylvester McCoy played Radagast. And That's blown was... my mind. I had no idea that was Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> and he was the seventh Doctor. He was. Yeah. Wow. So, Education. That's what this podcast is all about. Um, yeah. And, and, and entertaining. 
and flawless anyway. research <laughs> and preparation. Yeah. The key words yeah. for failed critics, as, as it's always been. But um, um, our motto is fail to prepare, prepare to fail. <laughs> yeah, and stutter through the sentence, as you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, so basically, just to kind of wrap up, wrap up the Lord of the Rings stuff, then. I I did enjoy it. I really enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to, but I am still looking forward to the Hobbit movie. And I know they're they're tonally very different films, um, but I still kind of think it's if anything, it's made me want to revisit the Hobbit films anyway. And I I never thought I'd want to watch them again. I enjoyed them as the big cinema spectacles as they're meant to be, but I can see I why saw- people get so attached to it now. I saw the second Hobbit film twice in the cinema. Why? Because That's I watched it. I way. watched it once for once for the podcast, and then my girlfriend really wanted to go, and I was just sort of oh, all right then, fine. And there'll be more about her making me watch shit films <laughs> in a minute. Yeah. Well, why don't you do a neat little segue into that then, Steve? Let's do yeah. This segue because it looks like the podcast is planned. Then. It's totally planned. Exactly. Planned. We ordered yeah. this beforehand, of course. Yes. Uh, so yes, I want, my girlfriend has never seen Star Wars, any of them, except for, um, the one with Jar Jar Binks in it. So, ahead. That's not a great introduction, is it? <laughs> yeah, a, a, a year in advance of Star Wars, The Force Awakening coming out, I said, right, you're gonna watch Star Wars films, and she said, well, and she said, have you, to me, have you seen any of the Harry Potter films? And I said, god no, I've not, no, I've not even read one of the books. Um, so then I said, right, We'll watch the Star Wars films, and we'll watch the Harry Potter films, um, and we'll decide who's right over which is best. So, it started off with me having to watch Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. If you're in America, you might be confused. Your end of the world, it's the Sorcerer's Stone. I think that's the right way around, isn't it? Yes. I thought J.K. Rowling was really protective about stuff like that, that it couldn't be changed. No? No, I'm... Fairly certain it was changed in America um, because the Americans didn't know what a philosopher was or something like that. <laughs> that I, I'm sure true. that wasn't entirely the reason. <laughs> Released in the United States as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not not quite sure what the actual reasoning was behind. I kind of agree though because. Because of what a philosopher... It's a book about wizards. Sorcerer makes more sense than philosopher. Philosopher, you think, is like some ancient Greek guy who sits there thinking about stuff. And a sorcerer is someone you think who does magic in that. So I can kind of see the sense in that myself. Um, hmm. Yeah. But anyway, I watched the film. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe looks... It's weird seeing him back... Because I haven't seen, obviously, the Harry Potter films... Before, so it's weird seeing him, as well as him, you know, uh, Emma Watson and Rupert Grint, as like kids when you see them now and they're properly grown up and that. It's just like kind of. And but anyway, uh, Harry Potter starts off this film as a wizard, but he doesn't know he's a wizard. And then Hagrid comes and gets him and says, "You're a wizard." And no, no, goes do, on no, like no, that. no, do the voice. I can't do any voices. <laughs> oh. You can do the voice if you like. You're a wizard, Harry. See, I mean, you see, I'm from that neck of the woods where his accent's from anyway, so I might just sound like him <laughs> by proxy. You should just have a go. What's, what's, what's worse going to happen? 
I don't know. We've been we've been we've been had problems with sound quality lately, so I'm not really going to start doing impressions. It's only going to get worse. Um, yeah, so um, it was fine. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like great. I'm not even. I'm going to have to watch the other six. I'm not kind of rushing to do it right away now, but. You know, I'm, it wasn't bad. I'm not kind of dreading watching the other ones at the moment. Halfway through a lot of them, I might be a bit, my opinion might change. I mean, the acting is fine. Emma Watson plays a really irritating child, but I suppose that's what the role is. So she's actually doing it well. She's not, she might naturally be irritating. I've never met her, but <laughs> she's certainly playing someone irritating this. Rupert Grint plays Harry Potter's mate who's a bit thick and he does that really well. Um, yeah, it look, I mean, I can see why kids would like it. Um, I can see why some grown-ups would like it, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's what people sort of forget a little bit for these films. They are kids' films. It, mm-hmm. you know, they're meant to go from 11 to 18, I, I think, are the, are the ages. I mean, yeah, cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like a, a massive fan. I do own them. I have enjoyed them. I've seen most of them at the cinema, cause, um, my brother was uh, five years old when they started coming out, so he was a good age for those sorts of films. So, and he used to get me to take take them to go and see them all the time. Um, some of them are all right. I, I think the first two are like probably the weakest, to be honest. Uh, the third one's really good. I really enjoyed that. Well, I say really, it's not like Godfather level, obviously, <laughs> but um, you know, as like a piece of entertainment, it, it's quite good. Uh, the fifth one is uh, probably one of my favourite ones, just because it's got a really shit book behind it. The book is horribly long and just full of crap, and the, and the film does a really good job of condensing it down into a really coherent uh, story. So, yeah, if you think the fifth film is bad, you, you really need to read the book, and you'll have a, you'll have a newfound appreciation for it, really. Um, I didn't really appreciate them um, splitting the last one into two films. I thought that was unnecessary, but that seems to be the way things go now. But, um, yeah, you know, they're not, you know, it's not high art. They're, they are kids' films, which is, bas- which is, to be honest, what I feel when people talk about Star Wars, that the, um, original ones being a bit crap. Was, you know, they are kids' films. <laughs> what, what do you expect? Yeah. I mean, this is two and a, this is two and a half hours long, though, which is long for a kids' film. They are long, yeah. Um, I don't know if, if obviously watching these as a kid compared for the first time compared to watching them as an adult for the first time, Possibly this works for Star Wars as well and films of a similar ilk. Maybe you don't enjoy them or get them as much if you watch them for the first time as an adult because they're not kind of aimed at you. Um, especially if you watch them outside of when they're actually released so you kind of don't mm. get caught up in the hype as well. I think yeah, because the, the, the thing with Star, just to compare, the, going back to the comparison though, I mean, Star Wars wasn't, it, it kind of seems like a kid's film. I don't think it, that was the intention behind it when they created it, though. Because at the time, right. it was just nothing like it. Whereas with Harry Potter, it's obviously coming from um, uh, a, 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 a books... They're kids' uh, books, yeah. They're kids' books, no, you know. They're kids' th- book I series. Think, and I think Star Wars was always intended to be kind of a family adventure film, but not like a film aimed at kids. I think it's meant to have mm. a broader audience. But yeah, yeah, no one has kind of done anything on that scale before in terms of, of film. Um no, you know, exactly. you know what I mean. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of um, Phantom Menace and Jar Jar Binks. People well, are like it... giving him massive amounts of flack. He's a he's a character for the kids easily. Mm, mm. Every kid I know loved him. 
And they're all leaving yeah. us. I'm going back to that scene. <laughs> well, I'm going back to that scene in, in... In space. <laughs> yeah, in space <laughs> where, where Simon Pegg's character just has it out as some child who tries to buy Jar Jar Binks doll. Yeah. And, and now, that is and exactly how Pegg, I feel. And now Simon Pegg spends his life on Twitter having a go at people doing things like that. So that's an interesting <laughs> not, not about Jar Jar Binks, though. No, about lens flare mainly, I think. But, well, uh, he is he is best mates with JJ yeah, exactly. now. So, it's although I don't know if he's meant to be appearing in Star Wars, I don't know if he's got to end up with a role in it. I don't think he did. I don't know. Anyway, Harry Potter. Yeah, so I think I've done <laughs> Harry Potter really, not You're literally, done. just metaphorically. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've done. Yeah, uh, there'll, all... there'll be some peaks and troughs there. I think. Mm. I've I've also seen Nightcrawler. I mean, Owen and Carol reviewed that a week or so, or maybe two weeks ago now. Um, but just to reiterate. Yeah, really good. Amazing. Jake Gyllenhaal's brilliant. Very, I think Owen might have said it, but very um, uh, Christian Bale and American Psycho kind of in mm. look and mannerisms. Mm. Um, I, don't, I can't remember if that was me, but it seems like something I might have said, so yes, I agree. Yeah, take, <laughs> yeah. take credit for it. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was a bit concerned after the first 20 minutes. I was sort of watching it and thought, is this actually going to be that good? But then it got, yeah, it did get really, really, really good. Hmm. Picks certain, up a lot, doesn't it? There are yeah. certain parts that you sort of look in. You look at his eyes, and they're complete. There are certain things that he does, and I don't want to spoil it. But you look at his eyes, and they're just completely calm, and it's really chilling. Hmm. Hmm. Definitely, because he's I so unhinged, just, but actually yeah. in control of his unhingedness. At, and everything he says makes perfect sense. That's the scariest <laughs> bit about it. Yeah. Uh, and Carol, what have you seen this week? Uh, so this week I've seen, I, I went to cinema and see Mr. Turner, which Owen obviously reviewed last week. I don't really want to uh, bang on too much about it because uh, we've already spoken about it, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I really wish there had been more made of the Constable thing, though, because there was a big, um, Turner and Constable were, were big rivals, and literally the only nod you get to it is just go, he goes, turn up. Constable, and everyone laughs in the cinema, in the art house cinema. I mean, yeah. in that knowing way. Oh, and I bet they did, you... didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you have, though. I was really looking forward to some more, uh, to some more constable bands, but they they were never forthcoming. Do you, but, do you um, actually know much like about Turner? Because I, I, went in... le- I did a level art. I know a little bit about. Them. Okay, so you probably could have picked up on things then that I missed. I was fully aware that because I saw it in this. Or with an audience of what I presume were stuffy Oxford types, because that's where I was. And they were sort of sniggering at bits and sort of, you know, pointing, ah, oh, Constable. And I was like, Is, who? What's that? Um, so yeah, you probably got a lot more out of it though. Did you recognise any paintings that were brought to life or anything like that? Because they oh, just yeah, went completely yeah, over my head. And I thought that, um, I, I don't really know whether this has been spoken about too much, but I thought Timothy Spall's actual because there are parts where he's actually painting the, the pictures and mm. I thought his methods of doing that were just amazing. You could you could see him painting like Turner. It was like watching Turner paint in front of you. It was absolutely incredible. Um, especially when he's kind of like spitting on the canvas and stuff because that, yeah. that's what he actually did. Um, but yeah, that, that was phenomenal. Like his technique was absolutely phenomenal. And I remember reading somewhere that he spent four years learning how to paint like Turner and it's it's all up there. He deserves he deserves loads of awards for it because that that is true dedication to the course. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, I never it, got it, used to him saying the word daddy though. Brilliant performance, but every time he said daddy, I don't think. No, I don't remember him saying daddy. 
He kept calling his dad, Daddy. And I was like, no, don't say Daddy. <laughs> it's just too weird. <laughs> I think that probably stuck in your head a lot more than yeah. mine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I I thought that was just, that was phenomenal. Um, especially in the later years where he's kind of, cause it's one thing to learn, learn how to paint in your own style. You have, like, finding your own style. Mm-hmm. But learning how to paint in someone else's style is really, really difficult. And it's something that all GCSE and A-level art students have to do before you sort of prove yourself worthy of a, of any reasonable grade. Which is something I do not agree with, but that's, that's <laughs> completely another topic. Um, so yeah, it, it's very, very difficult to paint in someone else's style and, and to get it that right. And he got it absolutely spot on. It was, it was phenomenal. Um, yeah, just as an aside, the, the constable thing apparently didn't happen. Um, <laughs> it's just something they made up for the film. Uh, but that's, uh, but it was quite an interesting, quite an amusing anecdote. But yeah, I thought the, um, the performance was superb, especially, um, the lady who played his housekeeper, whose mind's escaped, whose name's escaped me at the moment. But I thought she was really, really good because mm-hmm. there were all these rumours about, the affair between them and it was sort of alluded to a little bit but not not too much it wasn't too overbearing because no one really knows mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I thought it was an amazing film some great performances especially Timothy Spall I thought he was absolutely phenomenal um, yeah and very much enjoyed it um, and the other film I've watched this week I haven't watched many um, on Saturday night I think I sat down and, and went through the, the EPG and on Sci-Fi uh, Scream 2 was showing so apparently they showed Scream, the original Scream week before, they're showing Scream 3 this weekend, which isn't my recommendation, by the way, because it's not very good. But um, Scream 2 is just, I, I love Scream 2. I've got a real soft spot for it. I think I actually saw the second one before I saw the first, for some reason. I think I went to see it in the cinema, underage, obviously. Um, and it's just, it's great. I love it. It really plays into all the tropes of the, of the sequel. So where the original kind of go through all the, the tropes of the, of the horror film, you know, like the person, like the girl isn't a virgin anymore, so she's going to die, you know, the, the film geek's going to die, etc, etc. Um, the second one plays into all of them just much, it, it's much bigger. Um, they, obviously, they realise very early on they're in the sequel, so someone reels off the the, the rules, <laughs> like the body count's always going to be bigger, there's going to be more kind of like carnage. Um, and they have this nice kind of film within the film as well, which I always found really funny, was that um, in the first one, uh, Sydney says that, oh, with my luck, we'll get Tori Spelling to play me. And in the second one, she is actually played by Tori Spelling, <laughs> which I thought was just great sense of humour by Tori Spelling to turn up. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's like the film within the film where, where they're kind of recounting the, the first one. You've got all the kind of like the horror tropes in there as well. Obviously, you've got the big star getting getting bumped off really early on, and it's just it's just great. I'm a big fan of of sequels that just play everything much much bigger, and and just go all out. And uh, and and this is one of those. I think it's just it's fantastic. It's great. You know, it, 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 again, it's not high art, but it's um, in the genre. I think it's one of the one of the best. Not as good as the first one. That's the that's the rule that they don't quite ever get round to. Uh, to explaining is that the second one isn't ever going to be as good as mm. the first, but um, yeah, just some some great stuff in there, some great lines as well. Like when when uh, the killer asks Randy what his favourite scary movie is, and he says Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably my favourite one. But um, yeah, great great horror film, great comedy horror. I think. I, I'm okay. sure I've seen it, but I don't remember. I do remember the first one was pretty good. I watched it again not too long ago. I think actually the first one appeared in a decade in horror last month. 
um, oh, yes, for the nineties. Yeah, yeah. I think film. Andy picked this, it, but this one isn't quite as good, but it's it's bigger. It seems it seems also quite funny that Scream, being parody of the horror genre, spawned scary movie, which is a parody of a parody of a horror genre. Yeah, the first scary movie isn't that bad. It's quite funny, but no, uh, but then they but get then, worse. Yeah. yeah, and then scary movie spawned the whole different like a whole line of uh, oh. parody movies, like epic movie and yes. all that Superhero kind of day movie and all that kind of stuff, and it, none of them were funny ever. No. They were all really bad. I don't keep... Americans must find them funny, must have a different sense of humour, because they were awful, but kept getting made. I, I know a lot of people... The thing is, they get made for buttons, and as long as you can get a few people in to watch them, they're going to make money. That's that's the horrible truth. They're, I do know people... It's not just Americans, I do know people over here that go to watch them. They're, they're made for idiots. They're the comedy version of Transformers. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Let's not say yeah. things we can't do. <laughs> I don't want to take it back. <laughs> uh, but okay, that's part um, part two wrapped up. Uh, after this break, we will have our review of Interstellar. <laughs> In part three, then, we are going to review the new Christopher Nolan film, Interstellar, starring Matthew McConaughey, Michael Caine, Anne Hathaway, uh, and a cast of many, many others. That, then, was a clip of Interstellar. Um, I know Carol hasn't seen this, and to avoid spoiling the film for her and anyone else who hasn't seen it yet, we will be doing a spoiler alert after... Uh, this kind of non-spoiled review. Oh, thank you. Um, so, yes, what have we... Owen, what did you think of the film? Um, and did it live up to expectations? Yeah, okay. First question, um, what did I think of the film? I thought it was very Nolan, if that can yeah. now be a phrase. It is very Nolan, isn't it? There's yeah, slightly I, I, iffy dialogue, lots of exposition, talk, you know, lots of characters speaking expositional dialogue. Um, absolutely astounding visual element to it. It looks absolutely fantastic. And there's about a million different ideas and concepts that are all squeezed into one story. And not all of those concepts are actually that original. Um, no, so no, yeah, no, very Nolan, Nolan needs to be an adjective for describing Nolan films. <laughs> he, yeah, I am calling yeah. that. It's a Nolan. Um, yeah. Yeah. The sec the second question, I suppose, um, is did it live up to to expectations? Yes, I think is about fair. It didn't really exceed what I expected it to do, and it wasn't worse than I thought it might be. So yeah, kind of just exactly hit the button. Um, I thought it was a very good film with flaws. I mean, I don't know how you 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 felt about it, Steve. Yeah, it was it was very good, visually very good. Actors doing well with what they had to work with. Mm -hmm. um, some some nice ideas, some bad ideas, um, some ideas very poorly executed, some things that annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but overall, yes, a, a very very good film that yeah. I en I enjoyed. Um, but I don't know how much enjoyment I'll get out of 
repeat viewings, which yeah. is a bit unusual for Nolan films, because generally, you know, I will watch Nolan films more than once and enjoy them more than once. Mm-hmm. This one, I'm kind of thinking, do I actually want to watch it again, even yeah. though I did like it and enjoy it? And it was, and it, and it is it. And it three hours. Feel like a, yeah, and it didn't really feel like I was in there for three hours, except maybe for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, Three hours, yeah, so I think it's, I think minutes, it's two hours, fifty minutes. So the film is obviously with trailers and ads and that you're going to be in the screen for about three and a half hours. A long time. Felt like a long time. But um, mm. I suppose the thing about it is though, um, with the other Nolan films, they're not something like Inception or uh, The Prestige. Although there is kind of twists and turns throughout those. A lot of it is just really an entertaining blockbustery type film, isn't it? Whereas the story, story to Interstellar, which is about um, a father called Cooper, who's played by Matthew McConaughey, um, his father of two two people, and it's set in the distant future, and it's then about his relationship to his daughter, who he becomes estranged from when he volunteers to do this mission, going into outer space to find another world for humankind to, to either move to or for their species to to continue um, on. So the, the story, it's because it's so centralised around his relationship to his daughter, there's not a lot of rewatch value to be gained from that, I don't think. There's, no. n- there's nothing you're going to learn from watching it again that you didn't know from the first time watching it. There, there's nothing in the plot that you've kind of missed the first time round. No. Well, well, possibly there might be. I don't want to give anything away because obviously Carol's here, she's not heard it and there's people going to be listening who presumably haven't seen it. Don't worry too much. (laughs) (laughs) But there are things that perhaps if I did rewatch it, I might pick up on, but they're not around the central story, which is, to, as I say, to do with uh, Murph, his sister, his daughter, who's named after Murphy's Law, which is, you know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, um, the, the the actual law, not the TV show. Not the TV show. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the name after Murphy's Law, um, the TV show. But you know, to do with to do with that, it, there's nothing else that can be expanded on on a rewatch. I don't think so. Although it's done really well, I did like the story. It did did get a bit sentimental towards the end, um, as sort of these big Hollywood films so often do. Um, particularly one scene that. No, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to, it, but it, it, it is very sentimental the, as you get towards that closing 20 minutes, which I think you've already touched on, Steve. You yeah, weren't too I, keen I, on. I suppose you could say it gets a Hollywood ending. Of a, yeah, in a manner of speaking, there's a very Hollywood-esque ending to it. Um, but, you know, what I really wanted to see, and it's just the failing of a lot of films that are similar. Contact, for example, again, is a film that deals with, if you've ever seen it from from the 90s, with Jodie Foster in it, and Matthew McConaughey as well. He's in it as well. Um, it's about a father-daughter relationship, again. And what you really watch these types of films for, okay, that part of the story can be quite interesting, it can represent other things, but the film's called Interstellar. Let's just have more to do with him trekking through space looking for different planets to inhabit. You know. That's just that's just Star Trek though. <laughs> Where it would be if he starts going around buffing lots of different alien species females, yeah. Then it I would mean, be basi- yeah. But uh, 
Yeah. I don't know. I, pe- I think people could be misled by the title and the trailer to what they're hmm. expecting from this film. I mean, it does deliver in, to an extent what the title and the trailer says and shows. Hmm. But yeah, with, with obviously what we touched on, the father-daughter relationship, the, the, the title of the film could kind of, for people who don't kind of, because some people go to, to films, maybe will, willingfully, maybe ignorantly, blind they don't look at reviews they don't read reviews they go see a, see a film see what's made by see who's in it and think right i'm going to see that and you mm-hmm. can see where the title might be a bit you know kind of misleading yeah. to what what one of the overall themes major themes of the film is about although saying that i mean like i said i i kind of found the film to be almost exactly how i expected it to be which was so there was a lot of nolan backlash by the way um, on Twitter as soon as the, the embargo was lifted on Interstellar. Lots of people were slating this film. But, I still enjoyed it. I still think it was good. And the trailer, to me, said exactly what sort of film it was going to be. Um, and I don't have a problem with it being what it is, which is the story of a father and daughter that also has some sort of, you know, universe trekking that's, that's thrown in there as well as some hokey science and some science that could be believable but I'm not really an astrophysicist so I don't know if it is true or not but then you know that's kind of how the film works it's similar to um in that sense we watched a film earlier in the year Godzilla which spends a lot of time explaining stuff that just doesn't need explaining you know mm. um a lot of the science and the laws and how this could actually be possible. Who gives a crap, honestly? Who cares how it's literally possible for Godzilla to exist? That, nobody who's watching that cares about the, the, the finer details. The same with Interstellar. I don't really care too much about the exact sciences behind it. Give me a gist, give me an idea, and that's fine. And I can use my imagination, I can, you know, accept that some things probably aren't actually possible, but I don't care. I just want it to be an entertaining blockbuster. With with science fiction films, you kind of need to, um, or the people kind of need to accept that it's science fiction. So the science is gonna be a bit, you know, it's gonna it be might a bit not off. be. Yeah. It might not be accurate. It might not accurately describe the inner workings of a black hole. It's science fiction. They might have made some stuff up. Get over it. Yeah, well, it's like one of the criticisms that came out about gravity um, last year was that, oh, that couldn't actually happen. That's not how it works in space. <sighs> well, it made for some nice visual effects and, uh, you know, a fairly compelling story. So do, is that important? Does that matter? And, and, sci- and science changes all the time. They're always learning new stuff. So all you've got to do is go, well, that's set in the future a bit. You, you, <laughs> yeah. a, couple of year, a couple of years ago, you didn't know that about that. So they, in the future, they know this about this. Precisely. And of course yeah. they do take some liberties anyway. You know, the whole thing about how wormholes work and what a black hole is and some of it I watched and I thought, mm, that probably isn't true. But, like I said, didn't really care. It was, I thought it was a very entertaining film. Um, and some of the special effects they used, talking about the, the black holes and things, um, it did remind me a little bit of, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. You know, the bit which is towards the end. Where it's just lots of lights and it seems like a tunnel that goes on forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Some of the effects reminded me of that, and I quite liked it. I thought they did did it uh, very well, and it looked a bit like gravity as well at times. Probably because yeah. it was set in space and you had planets floating around and stars and stuff. But 
I thought it, it looked very good. Um, but, um, yeah, speaking of Gravity, it was actually released on the exact same date that Gravity was released on, by the same studio, and Gravity and Space play a major part in both of those films, you know, mm. both released on the but, 7th I mean, of November. And obviously, Gravity, completely different film, other than kind of the space but completely di- setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. I thought Gravity, obviously, made for 3D, visually amazing, plot-wise, just a bit dull. If it wasn't, yeah. so, if it wasn't so spectacular looking, it would have been an, uh, just a bang average sci-fi film. But it just oh, looked, definitely. it looked phenomenal. It was, it did, it looked absolutely amazing. And, uh, I think there are comparisons between the way that looked and the way this looks. Obviously that was in 3D as well, and watching Gravity on a big screen in 3D was probably the best way to see it. Whereas I can't imagine it having much, um, yeah. You know, the same impact on a, on a TV screen in 2D. Yeah, I, f- I think watching Gravity on, on TV, it's a small screen, is just yeah. going to be just sort of so underwhelming. Precisely. Like, yeah. Pe- yeah. People, people who watch Gravity for the first time on a television, they didn't see it in a cinema, they're going to be, what's the big, what's the fuss? Yeah, I mm. can absolutely understand that. I've n- I, I don't have any desire to watch it again, not at the cinema. No, me neither. A bit like Avatar, really. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, but you know, Interstellar again. I think is a very cinematic movie. Um, to see to see it on the big screen and some of the scenes that, that that took place. You know, again, it's very Nolan in the way that it looks because it almost makes it look real, even though you know it isn't. And some of, going back to again some of the effects and the way they were, it's it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive, and to see it on the big screen and and the way that the effects are all put together and you know you probably wouldn't get as much out of this on a smaller screen however it would probably work a lot better than than gravity would because the story's much stronger it's got a much stronger story um but yeah so i mean i did ask people on twitter earlier through our face uh, our twitter account i would ask them on twitter through our facebook account that's what i almost said then <laughs> it's not my granddad i went on the <laughs> facebook and then i um i googled twitter um, but no, I, I I asked people on Twitter um, to kind of talk about Nolan in general because you know he divides opinion like no other director at the moment. Um, he's quite a huge amount of films in the IMD top two fifty, but like I said, there was a bit of backlash for Interstellar, and there's lots of people who don't actually like him that much. I think he's a bit overrated. But I did ask people what their favourite Nolan films were. Overwhelming majority. What do we think it was? Probably um, Dark Knight, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you reckon the Dark Knight? I'm going to say the Dark Knight, um, and then if we're going non-Batman, the Prestige. Oh, that's my favourite, is Prestige. Pre- the Prestige, seven people chose the Presti- uh, chose Prestige as their favourite. Seven people chose it. By far and away the winner. Inception was closest with four people saying that was their favourite. Memento got three people. Nobody said the Dark Knight. Nobody said Batman Begins. No, we had um, at Ross Miller, who said, I'd pick the prestige over the Dark Knight, although his favourite was Memento. But he said, not to tell anyone, so now I'm saying it on our podcast. He Ah, prefers... (laughs) Yeah, as I did. He said, um, Dark Knight Rises is better than the Dark Knight. Which is quite a controversial thing to say, isn't it? I imagine there's many people on his side. 
Yeah, and nobody, no, nobody picked The Dark Knight, and it's currently fourth best movie of all time according wow. to the IMDb. It's top yeah, well, not, is it? but no, <laughs> it's, it's, not. it's without a shadow of a doubt, it ain't. No, but it's a very good film. I do really like The Dark Knight, and I still think that's probably my favourite, Nolan. I mean, you just said Prestige. Prestige is second because, well, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about the Prestige a little bit, Carol? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I really like the Prestige. I. Basically, I've watched it more than I've watched The Dark Knight. Uh, I think I've seen The Dark Knight like three or four times, I think. But um, I, I do really like Prestige, uh, mainly because it, it, it succeeds in doing a very rare thing. It's better than the book it's based on, in my opinion. Um, if anyone's read the book, they'll know that the ending is, is very different. And I actually prefer the ending. I, I don't really want to give it away for anyone who hasn't seen the film or read the book. But... Uh, I, I much prefer the ending in the in the film. I think it's much mm. much more interesting. Um, it's quite open, isn't it? The ending, yeah. because you're not sure exactly <laughs> yeah, what you've exactly. seen is real or not. It's yeah. it's very clever. I really like that bit, Prestige. It, it's not often that in the cinema I I guess what's going to happen. I did guess in the Prestige. I haven't read the book at this point. I hasten to add. Um, I did guess, but. You know, I was obviously quite proud of myself. So I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, also, you know, it didn't really matter. It was just like the, the mm. it was the guessing there that that counted. Yeah. Um, and I and I just think it's great. I think uh, Christian Bale's really good. Um, I think Hugh Jackman's excellent in it. I think that was kind of his po- first post uh, X Men film where he started to, you know, people started to rem- mm. remember that he was actually a serious actor at one point. Um, so. Well, you say yeah. that, but he did do Swordfish. You know, I, I have a soft spot for swordfish. I have to admit, I do quite like swordfish. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> not, not even. <laughs> <I>. <laughs> yeah, no, it's got a great soundtrack. Um, yeah, it's a okay. stupid film, but it's uh, it I'll happily sit and watch it. Anyway, we're not talking about it. we're talking about the street. We're talking about Nolan um, and the Prestige. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, I just think I think it looks gorgeous as well. All the uh, kind of the old school, the old London town, like 18th hmm. century London, and all the. Um, all the sets that they use, so all the all the theatres that they use for the various performances, and I, I think it's I think it's really really good. It's definitely my favourite Nolan film. But I, I think Dark Knight is probably second, um, third. I think I I don't know because I do like Memento and Batman Begins. I think they're probably joint third of them. Cheap. Yeah, really, I think I, don't I think with Memento, Memento is one of those films that I think a lot of people. I mean, it is a good film. It's a very good film, but because of Compared to what he's done since, considering how much smaller scale the production was, and to actually get such a good film out of it, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, he won't be able to top that by doing massive $165 million space epics, you know. thing is, if he was to make in, uh, m- m- sorry, Memento now, I think he'd actually make a worse job of it. I think That's a very good point, yeah. I, I think... The, the whole kind of the whole reason it's so good is is because it's such a stripped back production, and you know you wouldn't be getting Guy Pearce and he's really really good in mm. in the film, so you wouldn't be getting people like that. You'd be getting you know your massive Hollywood stars in probably Michael Caine in there somewhere as well. Oh uh, yeah, of you know, course. He's, he's a, he's a yeah. fan of Michael Caine, isn't he? Definitely. But um, yeah, I don't I don't think he'd do a better job of it. I think he'd do a worse job of it now. To be honest, mm. I, I think I hadn't really, really considered that, film. but yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. You know, is he actually capable of making a film like that anymore? It's difficult, um, isn't it? Even something like Insomnia. He probably was... is, but he's just kind of, 
indulge too much, to be honest. Inception I mean, the, the, dark, the Dark Knight Rises has got too much dumb stuff in it to kind yeah. of be... Hmm. To be... But who's going to say, to, you know, no one at Warner Brothers is going to say, no, Chris, that's really stupid. How why, how long did it take him to make the giant bat signal on the bridge when, it, when he could have been spending <laughs> that time far more wisely? Exactly. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah but he's Batman. Like, he's he can a golden do boy at the moment. No one's gonna, no one's gonna cross him. So <laughs> no. I, I think he is in danger of slightly getting a little bit overindulgent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only time will tell. One of the things people always bring up about him is he needs a really good script writer to work with. Um, and I know it was his brother Jonathan, I think, who worked with him on the story yeah. for Interstellar, and. Actually, they did a very good job, to be honest. Like I say, it's still got the same problems of expositional dialogue. A lot of what people say to each other is to explain what's going on or what's about to happen and how they're going to make this thing work and stuff like that. But um actually, considering, it's it's actually quite good. You know, they get through a lot more... St- it doesn't dumb it down too far when a lot of other films... I've talked... Uh, mentioned Contact. Contact does a bit of dumbing down itself, uh, the Robert Zemeckis film, but they don't really do so much of that with Interstellar. Whereas in Dark Knight Rises, I kind of got the impression it was made for people who um, quite weren't really the most clever audience in the world. Well, mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some facts at you now because uh, Dave, David Goyer, who who was involved in Dark Knight Rises, and also the legendary Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance was also... <laughs> don't laugh. Was also yeah, uh, mass- was good massively involved in um, Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. So, you know, it, it's the same person. And I think it was obviously mm. known and his brother as well. So, yeah. You know, you out, out of the greatest person, shit may flow. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so that really ends our discussion on Interstellar. Before we go into spoiler alert... Um, but before we end the main bulk of the podcast, we've obviously got our recommendations uh, for next week. I'm going with uh, resisting the temptation to go with ITV3 at uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, Columbo Murder with Too Many Notes. I have decided to go for more four at 5 past 11 in the morning uh, on Saturday and go for Escape from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> nice. That's the uh, one set in the 70s, isn't it? What's he, what's are you going for? What am I going for? I recommend it every time it's on TV because I do like it and um even if you've seen it before, rewatch it because it, you get more out of it every time. A field in England on film four, one forty five AM Friday. So definitely worth a rewatch. Definitely gonna you... watch that. Definitely yeah. gonna okay. record it. Good. I'm, I yeah, seen I'm it. gonna I'm gonna say to people, if you haven't seen it, Record it. Don't stay up for it because it's one thing. Device, <laughs> de- it's very divisive. You'll probably either yeah. love it or think, "Why the hell have I stayed up till nearly two in the morning to watch this bloody thing?" So <laughs> it's I, a bit I, 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 I yeah. probably recommend recording it. Yeah. Um, and Carol. Having said that, though, I don't know whether you guys have seen this. Uh, the um, advertorial thing that went out on uh, Adult Swim at four o'clock in the morning the other the other day called "Too Many Cooks." Nope. No. I'm going to tweet a link to it. It's the most mental 11 minutes you'll ever spend. And you've got to wonder, <laughs> people like watching it at four in the morning, what the hell were they thinking at that point? It's, it's completely mental. But, um, but my recommendation, and I'm looking at the, the sexual still, still book for it at the moment, actually, because it came out yesterday and I went and picked mine up tonight, is, uh, X-Men Days of Future Past is out on Blu-ray. Uh, although it's been out on digitally for like 
three weeks or something stupid, and that's why Blu-rays are, are dying, people. But um, yes, it's it's now out on Blu-ray, so you can enjoy it in all its all its sexy steelbook glory. It, it, <laughs> steelbook does look amazing, to be honest. Um, yes, and it was a very very enjoyable film, and one of my favourites of this year. Excellent. So yeah, that's all for um, the main bulk of this podcast. Um, I thanks everybody who's contributed anyway, and thanks to everyone who continues to listen. Um, as we get over our few sound issues, hopefully. <laughs> and yes, join us again next week where we will have reviews of the imitation game, among other things. Um, but yes, at this point, Carol is leaving us because she's not seen Interstellar. Um, Matt, La- Matt Lamborn <laughs> is possibly leaving us if he's not seen Interstellar. Yes, yeah, Matt, Matt, this is, yes, Matt, this is spoiler alert coming up where me and Owen will take a more in-depth look at the film. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend not listening on any further. If you have seen it, join us for a bit of extended chat on that. So, spoiler alert, where we have a little bit of a more in-depth look at Interstellar. So, again, if you didn't listen the first time, if you haven't seen the film and don't want it spoiled for you, don't listen on past this point. Um, so, I suppose, I mean, the main bone of contention with some people for this film is is the ending, probably the last 20 minutes or so. Um, basically, from the moment Matthew McConaughey's character Cooper falls into the black hole... Yes. Um, is ...is when it seems to deteriorate for some people uh, I'd agree, it kind of takes it from from an 8 8 and a half film to kind of a 7 film out of 10 if that makes sense yeah, I know exactly what you mean um, turns it to like, from from very good bordering great to just like, good <laughs> yeah, and I think that a lot of people have felt, felt the same way um, I mean, I kind of like the ending anyway, as it is uh, but you're right. It, what happens is the the film it nosedives a little bit because suddenly it stops being about um, the the actual exploration. It stops being about a journey, and then it goes back to some rubbish about how them, the people they keep referring to as them, who send the signal in the first place that sends McConaughey and his, and Anne Hathaway and all them into space. It suddenly it's revealed that them. Uh, refers to the human race who've evolved in the future to live in the fifth dimension. It's, it's, it's not a case of them and us. Them is us. Them is us. Yeah. Them is us. They, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I I didn't really mind that because paradoxes are a are a staple of sci-fi time travel films. Yeah, in some ways, it kind of it kind of made it better than if it was just aliens. Mm, because you know, still, so, was so, in charge, so I suppose the alien. idea is they found the wormhole near Saturn. The wormhole was put there by future humans who had evolved to the level where they could put a wormhole there. But the only way humans could have got that far evolved was to go through the wormhole in the first place and continue the human race. But paradoxes mm. happen all through sci-fi films that involve time travel, probably from yeah. anything in from from time bandits to Primer. That's right. And also stuff like why, yeah, time bandits is a good one. But, um, but, you know, stuff like why was the wormhole at Saturn? Could they not have put it a bit closer? 
maybe or you know i know there's the the thing about that they can't really communicate they haven't got a way they've evolved beyond the ways of just communicating in in our third dimension or even through the fourth dimension of you know time and space and stuff like that but um yeah i don't know i kind of overlooked those and i didn't really mind it what was a bit odd was how then he went back and he was able to filter through all these these um events that all take place from behind a bookcase in his daughter's bedroom. And he does stuff that he knows she will have already found out. You know, like spelling out the word stay. Well, he knows that's what already happened. And so he knows that he can't stay. And he so knows he's he trying to make himself stay. Yeah. You know, I kind of get, oh, it's, it's desperation. He's trying to change things, but... If he's already figured out this is how time works, then surely he knows that that's not going... I don't know. I don't know. So some of it is forgivable, but then it gets to be completely... Like like we said earlier, sentimental, and it gets to be a bit silly. And the bit with him being found floating around in space... Yeah. He would have frozen to death, but... And then going to watch his... His daughter, who's now three times older than him, die, and then yeah. flying back off into happiness to find out halfway. Yeah, that's just a bit like. Did we need that? You know, yeah, it's like, what's the point of it? It kind of, it kind of de- took a lot away from even what going to see his daughter die when she's hundreds of years old or whatever she is. It kind of detracted from the whole son-daughter mm. relationship mm. in the film. And the stuff around here, um, Tars, who suddenly, the, you know, the little monolith thing with an iPad in its middle, is now suddenly his best mate. It's a bit weird. I don't know, I like, I thought Tars and, and, um, was it Case or Chase? Case, Case, I think. I, I thought, I thought they were brilliant. They were very good. Tars. I mean, yeah. the Tars, it, Tars is lying right near the start when they're in the ship saying, great, more slaves for my, uh, for my robot, <laughs> my robot race or something. More yeah. slaves for my, my robot dominion or something like that. It was brilliant. It, I thought, it was I thought good. those two kind of stole the show a bit. To an they extent. did. Yeah. Um, there was a lot, it was a, the only bit of buddy comedy in the whole film, wasn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the whole bit's about changing his humor setting and his honesty setting and, yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff was was quite well done. It probably did need a bit of comedy in there because it was a bit super serious oh, at times. It could it could have very easily gone down the super serious, uh, yeah. schmaltzy, actually not very good route. But you know the humour lifted it a bit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so it was the ending that kind of let me down a little bit. Also, one of the other things that I wasn't particularly keen on, um. And I think I, don't, I think you felt the same as me actually it was to do with Matt Damon's character. Who, yeah, which was which, he, was a, which was a nice surprise because I didn't know he was in the film. <laughs> me neither, and I didn't even recognise him. There he is. <laughs> yeah, it took me a little while to realise that it was Matt Damon because he looks a bit chubbier than he normally does in these roles. He, he did, in some ways, he did look like a man who'd been left alone on a desert planet <laughs> for years. Yeah, but he seems to have had too much food as well for some reason. Yeah, what has he been eating? You can't yeah. live that long on frozen clothes. But yeah. Um, yeah, he's not the same guy who was in Elysium. Put it that way. No, but, he um, turned out to be a massive dick. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean the twist with his character, I kind of saw coming. 
he knows yeah. a little bit about what's really going on, and actually he's going to screw them over at some point. The second that he mentions walking out into the middle of nowhere, yeah, yeah, you know there's going to be a madness. fight. Yeah, he had space madness. Yeah, he's 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 lost it, I'm afraid. But yeah, it was a little bit too obvious compared to some of the other stuff that was a bit more subtle. Which towards is, things which, like Anne Hathaway's motivations about trying to find this guy because she had a relationship with him. Yeah. Was but, a little bit, it was done, handled a little bit more carefully. But, it was a bit yeah. of a shame that kind of Matt Damon's character, his motivations were so obvious because his involvement in the film, they managed to keep it kind of under wraps quite well, I think. Yeah. There was, there did. was, he didn't seem to be billed anywhere, it didn't seem to be, they didn't ever saw him any trailers or anything. Obviously, yeah. massive, massive name, and just kind of pops up out of nowhere in what is basically an extended cameo. Although, brilliant death scene. I thought the way yeah. they killed him off was fantastic as he sort of pressed the, the you know, the lock on the door and suddenly yeah. blasted into a million pieces. That was pretty, pretty cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so Matt Damon's character could have been done a little bit better. And also, part of that did seem to be a little bit like filler. I don't know, I don't know what you thought. Um, a bit of padding around them actually deciding what they're going to do and finding out secrets about actually what is, uh, Michael Caine's plan all along. Yeah. Didn't, didn't necessarily um, need to be there, but I don't know. Yeah, um, I kind of wanted to know more about why the Earth was in the state it was in as well. I feel like we have a lot of science fiction films that don't kind of explain the backstory of something. It's kind of just yeah, just, yeah. It, but that that's not really a problem with with the film itself. It's just kind of I always like to know well, why, <laughs> what's what's going on. Why is it like this? Yeah. What's happened? Why is it, why are there no armies? And why have we got everyone got to be farmers now? And why why is this India Air Force drone such a big deal? And and how does stuff. NASA still actually get money? Really? How are they still, even if it's a massive sham, how are they still getting any funding to continue to build a station that's ultimately useless? Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. So some plot holes, I guess. Well, if it's even a plot hole, we've had that discussion before as well. What actually constitutes a plot hole? Um, but anyway, we probably won't go over old ground in that regard. No. I mean, what did you think of Michael Caine and Jessica Chastain's role together then? Because um, his death didn't seem to be as impactful on her personally as perhaps it could have. I know he's on his deathbed and he reveals that it's all fake. But again, it was just one of those things like, okay, now Michael Caine's dead. Move on. That's it. The rest yeah, of the story. Yeah, you, you never, you never really got to see anyone build a relationship with his character, did you? I mean, no. you obviously assumed that Murph was, you know, because he not rescued her, but took a great interest in her from yeah, from Coop's daughter. To, mm. you know, took her, took her in effectively, taught her. She was already quite a bright kid, but you know, taught her, brought her up. Um, yeah, yeah, and maybe a bit more around his his relationship to to. So you don't, so you don't really kind of get an idea that a real feel for a relationship between them. You never really get a relationship that is like one of Coop's best mates, and they go really far mm. back either. Even though they obviously do. So when he dies, there's kind of no real 
did no. And I took, uh, uh, moving away from negatives as well, though, one of the, the relationships I did like was that between, um, between Coop, between Matthew McConaughey and his son, played by Casey Affleck, and the videos yeah. that were sent to him. I know they all come in one particular scene. Yeah. Uh, but I liked that. I liked the way that was done. I thought that it gave a lot of history in a very short amount of time, and it moved everything on and gave new, um, New context to certain things, so I liked how that was done. I liked that. I liked how that was done. I didn't particularly like the relationship between Murph and Casey Affleck's character and their family, his family. Mm. I thought that was just a bit shoehorned in there again. To it was give yeah. her, to give her a kind of more human feel or more of a character when you could have really done that with with just what you see between her. And her dad, and what you know of her and her dad, you didn't really need that to kind of add in to no. say, oh, she is a real person with real feelings. She loves her brother and her niece, or nephew, and daughter, sister-in-law, or whatever. It's sort of yeah, yeah. That's that's fair point. I think nice to see Topher uh, Grace back, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> didn't know what he'd been up to for a while, but there he was. Yeah, just popping up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's good. So, I mean, where would you kind of place it amongst Nolan's films then? Interstellar. Um, would you think um, it's, do you think it's better than Dark Knight or Inception or? No. At the minute, it's I'd 11th on IMDb's top 250. So it's, it's up there pretty high. Yeah, I mean, maybe that'll kind of average itself out more over time. Well, eventually, I think yeah. the ending disappointed me that much that. I'm still not sure I've seen... I don't think I've seen Memento. I have it such a long time ago. I've certainly enjoyed it more than The Dark Knight Rises. Possibly more than Batman Begins. But I don't think more than um, The Dark Knight or The Prestige. Um, mm. Or possibly even Inception as well. Um, yeah. I need to watch okay. Inception again because it did confuse the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I did like it. So... Yeah, I think Interstellar out of his films is going to rank somewhere between between middle and bottom. Yeah, I think it's one of those films that is probably his like best if you talk from an objective standpoint because it's got all the great visuals that we've talked about. It's got all the great, um, you know, the story is done pretty well actually. Yeah, um, there's a nice balance of the humour with Tars and and McConaughey's character um, with Cooper. Performances are all good. However, it's one of those that at the same time I couldn't really call it a favourite movie. Do no. you know what I mean? It's it's but, it's probably his best, but actually not my favourite. But saying it ranks like towards the middle or bottom of your of, of our favourite um Christopher Nolan films, then you call him Kevin Nolan then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan films. It doesn't mean that it's a bad film. It, no, it's, it more reflects on a, a generally high standard of films that he's made that that would rank towards the middle slash bottom of films that he's made in our opinion. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good. I can't think of a film of his I've seen that I haven't liked. So no, no, you know, it hasn't made me think that he's not going to continue to make good films either. I think they're still as good as Interstellar is. As good as I think The Prestige and The Dark Knight are. Um, 
I, it, the only thing it's done is made me think he's still got his best film yet to come. I think there's still something else that perhaps in maybe 10, 15 years when he's knocked out a few other little films. Something needs to something, click, doesn't it? Something just needs it, to, I think, I think he needs somebody quite strong willed next to him to say, Christopher, that's a dumb idea. Yeah. Christopher, yeah. that's not very good. He seems to be, Studio seem to have a lot of faith in him and just letting him go, go on, go along with things. Mm. And whether mm. he needs, whether it's somebody from the studio, whether, you know, an executive, whether it's a producer, whether it's somebody writing the script with him, somebody needs to sort of be, say to him, that's a bit silly. That's, or yeah. that doesn't work. Um, and there's yeah. other, there's other directors have had that. I mean, I suppose in their later careers, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have had that from to an extent with films that they've made and they need someone sat next to them going look that's fucking dumb don't do it <laughs> uh, exactly and, but you know and they, they'll make good films so maybe maybe Christopher Nolan needs the same and if he does that he could make you know the you know his best ever film and one that will be considered as great because I think he at the moment he's good not great but has the potential to be great Yes, I would. I would agree with that. He's well. I don't know actually. Maybe I. I still think of him as one of my favourite directors. Yeah. I still enjoy all of his films. I don't like. I said I don't think I've seen any that I would wouldn't even consider as just okay. I think I've liked or loved all of his output so far. I mean, I um, suppose I can't if, say if about want, a lot. Of if you want to bring back everything to football, which I'm fantastic at doing, <laughs> he's, he's he's not in the the Messi or Ronaldo class of player, but he's the step below that. He's like Suarez or Bale, isn't he? Yes. That's what we're yes. talking. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably the most accurate way of, of <laughs> drawing an analogy to that. Um Exactly. Yeah, so if you're if you're American and listening to this or know we have American listeners, he's not Michael Jordan, but he's he's maybe someone who's who's not quite as good as Michael Jordan but still very good at basketball. <laughs> I thought you were gonna give a name then. No, I, I can't help you right there, I'm afraid. I only know Oops. I only know basketball players that were in Space Jam, and I've heard of Kobe Bryant. Oh, and, La- and Dennis Rodman. D- Dennis Rodman's, the, I don't know, was he in Space Jam? No, he was the one who went to yeah, North Korea, though, wasn't yeah. he? He did us. Yeah. yeah, so, but anyway. Also did a film with uh, John, Anyway, John I think Bang that's now. a good anyway, time to end, end the podcast <laughs> yeah. now. Um, but again, thanks to everyone who's listened and contributed, and we'll be back around the same time next week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. <laughs> okay. I got I got a humdinger. Shall we go?
Yes, do it. Let's right. go. Let's, Let's roll. Go. All right. So we're going to go back to 1992, first of all, uh, before Owen was born, I think, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Beethoven. Right. No, I don't know. No, Steve? Mm, no, not sure. Well, unless it's Rick no. Moranis, but I don't think it is. And I don't. Th- I can't even remember if he was in that or not. Unless it was who? Rick Moranis. Was no, he in, was he he in Beethoven? No. I don't think so, anyway. Okay. What are you talking about, Owen? <laughs> well, I don't know. 92? I told you before and... he was born. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so 1993, uh, Pelican Brief. Don't even know that one. I've heard of it. I don't know who's in it. Well, I can't tell you that because it would ruin the whole <laughs> idea of the quiz, obviously. Yeah. It's true. No, no one? Nope, not even going. Oh, no. Uh, no. I'm going to skip forward a little bit now because there's a lot of uh, unknown stuff on here. It's 1997 and A Life Less Ordinary. I primarily remember that film from the Ash soundtrack, by the way. I don't actually remember the film at all. That's been sitting on my Sky Planner. I looked at that, was it two days ago? And thought, oh, I should give that a go. And then I changed my mind <laughs> and watched something else. So I probably um, would have guessed that it. Might have, that might have played right into my wheelhouse. What is Your- a wheelhouse? I have not, I've never I've heard ne- that. That is a I've new expression. Life. I've heard that phrase, mostly on American stuff. I don't know what a wheelhouse is. I imagine it's a house where a wheel of some kind is, is See, situated. Are we leading up to a guess or not? <laughs> no. No, we're not. No, we're not. Right. I'm psyching, I'm psyching Owen out. <laughs> um, alright, so we're gonna skip forward now to 1999, In Too Deep. I don't think I've seen any of these films except Beethoven. Say, it's pretty you? bad, isn't it? I think I'm in the same boat as, as Steve. Nothing? No. No. All right. Um, 2001, America's Sweethearts. Not seen that. <laughs> no, I don't think nope. did. No. <laughs> no? No, unless it's Matthew McConaughey. Seems no. like something he might have done around that time. No, okay. No. Uh, you must have seen this. 2002, Road of Edition. I have seen that, but I can't think of anyone who would have been in that and Beethoven. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be one of the kids, isn't it? It's gonna be one of the kids from Beethoven who's a grown up in Road to Perdition, or older than what he was in. That that kind of well, doesn't really right. help I much think that's because taken, cause it's like ten years afterwards. That's how that's how older. that's how time works. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe saying... not. Maybe not after Interstellar. Who knows what time mm. does? Are we saying no? Yeah, I'm saying no. You're saying no. I, I don't know who was Blimey. in it. I thought I had a good one, but I wasn't. I wasn't sure it's going to be this good. Um, Two thousand and four, the terminal. Ah, <gasps> uh, yeah. What's his name? He uh, was in the recent Transformers film as well. Uh, 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 what's his name? It's right on the tip of my tongue. The bald guy. He wears glasses a lot. He's got a beard. Stanley Tucci. Tucky. Hang on, yes, hang on. Owen didn't say Owen first, and I was going to guess that. So, you know, he's technically, I'll let you have that, but technically, you shouldn't have done. (laughs) (laughs) Because you did it wrong. Well done, Owen. Yeah, I'm going to allow it, come on. Yes, I mean, there was a lot of, like, there was a bit of thinking out loud there, but I think. Yeah, I kind of helped him along then, didn't I, really? (laughs) 
Yeah, an amazing uh, Stanley Tucci. Uh, I don't know why I've picked him, actually. Oh, because uh, Hunger Games is out. Oh, it's his birthday today. That's why. He's on the front of IMDb. Is it? Um, <laughs> and also he's in the Hunger Games, obviously. But, uh, yeah, he's been in so much stuff. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, uh, so after that, you've got Robots, Lucky Number 7, Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm. He was in some of Monk as well, which I really liked. I don't remember him from that. He was in ER. I definitely remember him, him in that. Lovely Bones, Space Chimps and Space Chimps 2. Zartog Strikes Back. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's been in loads, and obviously he was the the doctor in Captain America. Who, I, I, yeah, uh, I, but I remember him in the Terminal. Thing. He was pretty good in the Terminal. I quite like. He's pretty that good film. in everything, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I like Stanley Tucci. I'll, I'll always watch him in something. If if he's in something, I'll watch it. Yeah. Not always a, a mark of quality, but he's always pretty watchable. Hmm. Well done, Owen. Thank you, thank you. I'll pat myself on the back. So mm. that's that's one all in the uh, in the quiz. Sorry, Steve. Exciting. Uh, funnily enough, Steve, there was actually one of his um, films is made in Manhattan, and I thought you were trying to <laughs> do me over with the whole Aunt May discussion where we were uh, brainstorming potential ideas for her film. Well, that, that segues nicely into the news then, <laughs> uh, as, as we've got a whole bumper edition of, of news this week, uh, starting off with... Um, Sony, is it Sony? Probably is. Wanting to do a a Spider-Man spin-off, an Aunt May movie. Um, Sounds exciting, doesn't it? I don't know where people keep getting this crap. It's scraping the bottom of the barrel, isn't it, for an Aunt May movie? Who's the audience for that? Well, there was a um, there was a throwback uh, series that Marvel did do a series for Aunt May when she was like a kid, or not a kid, but she was like a young woman. Uh, But it was weird, and I wouldn't really like to see it. It's not really my first pick of, of stories I like to see on the big screen but I don't know where I don't know who's coming out with all this Sony stuff because you know first of all obviously you've got Amazing Spider-Man 3 and then they want to make this big universe with the Sinister 6 and hmm. now they're not doing that anymore what are they doing what are you doing Sony just tell us what you're doing please. throwing money away just, basically just sell the rights back to Marvel well they probably could do it now I mean I've made the point here before that I think it's actually a good thing that they have Spider-Man, because I think otherwise we'd probably have about Spider-Man 5 from Marvel by now. <laughs> and we'd, only, we'd only just be getting around to Avengers. Um, but I, I can still see Spider-Man being loaned to Marvel. Yeah, but... I can absolutely see that. Uh, the problem is with Sony, as a, as a big company, they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, Sony Pictures is doing alright. It's about the only profitable arm of the business. But I can definitely see I can definitely see benefits from both sides in, in, that, in that deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Uh, yeah. So mm. that was that was one really not really bit of news that anyone was interested <laughs> in, but but just a bit of a joke. Uh, other news though, uh, Star Wars has got its title for the episode seven. Uh, this going to be called The Force Awakens, and filming has wrapped on that now as well. Um, I think it's December release next year, so we're only about thirteen months away from the next. Uh, edition of the Star Wars franchise. Owen couldn't care less, could he? He couldn't, no. He's pretty... No, no I'm just going to stop doing that. No, I'm not that excited. No. To be honest. I could he care died. less. Couldn't care less. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Couple of, couple of right bloody misery. Star Wars is great. <laughs> I have faith in this film being um, not as good as the originals, but better than the prequels. But then I could probably make a film better than the prequels that's, with Lego yeah, Men. That, that's a low bar, isn't it? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Revenge of the Sith wasn't too bad. The other two were pretty wank. They did get better as they went on, I think. 
Yeah, I quite liked the final talk. fight in the third film. That was pretty good. With, when, uh, when they stopped, when they stopped talking about tax routes and trade blockades <laughs> for a, for what is essentially a, a children's family adventure film, then it got better. There was, I remember, I actually did go to the cinema to watch all three prequels, like not not always on purpose. And um, I remember the first, the the prequel one, and I haven't seen it for a long time, so I am paraphrasing, the the title Crawl for the first one, the first sentence is something like, taxation routes in the Empire continue to be blocked. And at that point I was like, this isn't going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) When that's the first thing you put on your title Crawl. (laughs) But I think the first one was okay-ish when you were a little kid, because there was a lot of stuff like the um, pod racing and stuff like that, which I seem to remember. The pod, was, the pod race was, was excellent. Yeah, the pod yeah. race was excellent. But there was another two and a quarter hours of film around that. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't really and, good. And the light, even the lightsaber, the lightsaber fight with Obi Wan, Qui Gon, and Darth Maul was pretty cool as well. Yeah. Oh, other, yeah. Than, other than that, yeah, it was a pretty rubbish film. It was all round. Very few redeeming features. Yeah, um, not even Liam Neeson could save it. No. Maybe maybe I should just introduce his him as a, a new Jedi with his character from Taken, but kind of <laughs> as a Jedi. Going for the going for the over sixties market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Other news: Hunger Games is going to be made into a, a stage show or a play or something. Or... Well, if people actually die, then that could be quite interesting. I mean, if they can actually go a bit further than they do in the in the films, like make it more like Battle Royale. Then I think I could be all right. No, I'm interested. I'm not a huge fan of the Hunger Games films. Well, I've only seen the first one, to be honest. I will go and see. I will see the second one at some point. Uh, I quite like the book, so I have to be honest. It's sort of like a a bit of a, a guilty admission, not a guilty pleasure, because I don't believe in them. But um, yeah, it could be quite interesting. I think depending on what what they do with it, it's it's something that is definitely ripe for that sort of treatment. But they have to make it a bit gorier, in my mind. Mm. Yeah, they're not great films, though. I've seen the second one, and I didn't like the first one anyway. I was going to be dragged along to the second one, and I think I'm going to be dragged to the, the third one as well. But you're right, they're just like, for, for things that are about death games, where people kill each other, they're very friendly. They get Well, by definition, they're not, not allowed to be that violent, are they? No. So, mm, a stage musical, I can't imagine. Is it a musical or just a play? Or... No, I think it's like some interactive, um, interactive thing. So they're going to build an arena next to Wembley. Uh, and um, you get to you get to go in and kill the the cast. You get to go in and kill Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> oh, nice! So it's not like Jennifer Lawrence's characters enter Dex Factor or something like that. Then it's not. I don't, a, I don't think a Daft so. Musical. No, <laughs> well, I don't okay. know. It could be. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be interested to see what the um what it's like. I think that could be that could be something that'd be good for an interactive experience. Yeah, probably be about sixty yeah. seventy quid for a ticket at the back. Oh, yeah, you'll I'd be bought for that, to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah, if you're actually getting to kill off Peter. Then that might be worth it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know who these people are. Well, a hologram of Philip Seymour Hoffman would be pretty good. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Uh, Other news Quentin Tarantino has said he will quit making films after his 10th. He's got The Hateful Eight coming out. Um, I'm not sure when that's actually due out. I think it's perhaps next year. Um, But anyway, he said he's got two more after that and he'll leave a 10 film filmography. I can't believe he's done 10. Yeah, Wait, yeah, I guess he has, hasn't he? He's done. He's done obviously seven plus eight for late, and yeah, so he's 
seven oh, with so one. Not after t- oh, right, yeah. hateful no, eight won't be the tenth. No, he said he'll quit after ten, so he's oh, got two more, two more after hateful eight. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, he's got seven in the bag and one. Yeah. Getting put into the bag. Chance we'll Tatum's going to be in hateful eight. It's quite an interesting idea. Yeah. I guess. Well, he's he's become quite a good actor now, hasn't he? I was going to say I've seen him in Foxcatcher, and he is very, very, very good. Hmm. I can I can understand why he's getting more and more. And obviously, he's got comedy comedy chops from Twenty Two Jump Street as well. He's and no he longer he's he's no longer Channing Tatum from Step Up, is he? He he's no longer <laughs> yeah. like the punchline to the joke. Who would you have in a Tarantino film, Channing Tatum? He's actually like, oh yeah, he's he's like the reconnaissance Mark Two, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Tarantino's got a good rap of getting really good performances out of people you wouldn't expect. You know, Pam Greer even in Jackie Brown. I bet nobody saw that coming, and she's brilliant in that. Yeah. So I like Jackie Brown. Yeah, it's a good film. Um, but also like Tarantino. I I reckon then if he's going to quit after ten. Obviously, it's pure speculation. I haven't even read the news articles because I'm unprofessional and don't do any research. But he, um, he might move into being like a producer role because he's already sort of done that in in films with um, Robert yeah. Rodriguez, and that'd be quite good actually, just to have him oversee maybe a studio of his own that produces films. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, um, I feel sorry. As I say, it wasn't isn't one of the films he planned on doing. I don't know if this is this has gone away now, but didn't he plan on? Um, revisiting Brad Pitt's character from Inglorious Bastards and doing a prequel based on based on that group from that film. I didn't. I, I didn't know. hear that. No, that'd be quite I cool. Did, um, but I don't know if that if he plans to do every pass to someone else or if that's now just kind of disappeared altogether. I like the idea of him being a producer though, because I think if he's left to his own devices, he can get a bit self-indulgent. Hmm. Uh, especially in the last kind of ten years, he was right before that. But um, I don't get me wrong; I still enjoy his films. But I do think, definitely, in his last few films, there are there are big portions that can be cut. Um, Reservoir Dogs is a really lean film, and every part of it matters. Same with Pulp Fiction; even though it's two and a half hours long, everything matters in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. You can't really—I don't think you can really say that about. Uh, Django Unchained, for example, I think I could have done with it being twenty minutes shorter. Be, care- be careful, he will shut your butt down. <laughs> shut my butt down. Yeah, yeah. Come at me, bro. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the final bit of news then for for this podcast is uh, Harry Belafonte has been handed an honorary Oscar. Uh, Carol, you know more about this one because you've actually done your research. Because in your head, you're a professional critic. What, in my own, in my head, yeah. yeah. I have no idea where this where this accusation has come from. <laughs> I've never I've never claimed to be a professional anything. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Harry Belafonte's been uh, given an honorary Oscar. Um, I think for his performances, but also for his um, kind of extra extracurricular work, shall we say. In, uh, in supporting the, the civil rights movement, etc. Um, but actually, cause this all came from the Governor's Award, um, a couple of days ago. But actually, the, the part of that that I was most interested in was, um, Hayao Miyazaki was also given an honorary Oscar, because, you know, one isn't enough. And, um, and he said during, well, at the ceremony somewhere, he said he was going to carry on making films. So, fantastic. He's going to be about, I don't know, 104. And still making great films. Marvellous. I don't know where this puts The Wind Rises, though, because The Wind Rises does feel like a swan song mm. in every way. Um, 
But you know, <laughs> if he keeps if he keeps making films, then then more power to his elbow, frankly. Yeah, and his wrists and his fingers and all that individual hand-drawn frames that he's known for. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think he actually draws the stuff anymore. That's just a hunch. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it would be good for him to, to carry on, because Studio Ghibli is pretty much done now, isn't it? I mean, there's not much... I don't think they've got any major projects in the pipeline now, have they? Got a few things, but... Not to my Are they winding down? So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's well, you know he's only seventy three. He could he could go on for a while. It's fine. I mean, look at uh, I don't know. Look at Harry Belafonte himself. He's eighty seven. So you know, yeah, he could he could be, he could keep going for a while. It's fine. And yeah. you know, he's Japanese. So he's gonna live forever anyway. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> and what is old man but, making yeah, animated exactly. cartoons? Yeah, why not? <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all for part one. Then in part two is as always what we've been watching. In part two, then, we take a look at the films that we have seen over the last week or so that uh, aren't necessarily new releases. Um, oh, why don't you start us off in this bit? Okie dokie. Um, so, I watched uh, the Lord of the Rings film, Fellowship of the Rings. And I have seen it before, but I watched it again because the third Hobbit film out is due uh, in cinemas in about a month's time, literally a month, I think, from today's date, uh, called Battle of Five Armies. Uh, and I actually quite enjoyed the Hobbit films, and I really wasn't expecting to. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't really like the Lord of the Rings films, to be perfectly honest, the first time round. Um, so I was kind of, I just went into the Hobbit expecting them to be pretty much shit, shitter versions of the Lord of the Rings and came out thinking it was quite fun. It was quite a, uh, you know, an epic adventure type film, but it was actually really good. And I always wanted to rewatch the Lord of the Rings before the next Hobbit film comes out sort of thing. And it's kind of got to the point now where because they're so long and the only films I've got on DVD are the extended editions, I thought I've got to make a start like right now or I'm never going to get around to it. So I did. I, got, I rewatched um, Fellowship of the Rings for the first time since, well, when did it come out? 2002, so probably first time since then, really. Um, and oh, yeah, I also watched the first half of the extended edition of The Two Towers, the, the second film. Like I said, I never really liked them before. I always thought they were okay, but I did appreciate them for this kind of massive scale that they had and the, the, the achievements that, that to actually get them filmed, uh, what an achievement it was by Peter Jackson. Um, but the first film, Fellowship of, uh, Fellowship of the Rings, really enjoyed it. It was so much better than I remembered it being. Um, and I know there's like a huge runtime, but the amount of stuff that's covered in in that film is astonishing really you know there's more story there's more character development more exciting scenes in just the first 90 minutes of uh fellowship of the rings than in the majority of the the recent sort of two plus hour long films that i've seen this year all the ones that i've been sitting well, that's, in the that's cinema waiting that's for them to probably, end. that's probably because it's got another hour and a half to actually kind of have orcs fighting elves yeah that's things, true yeah, because it's already had an hour and a half of character development, so it can have another hour and a half of 
stuff fighting each other. Yeah, but even just in that 90 minutes, there was a lot of character development, but there was still a lot going on. There was still lots of things happening and lots of story was being progressed. It wasn't just, you know, like in the first Hobbit film, they spend about 45 minutes in the Hobbit house. Doing the dishes. Doing the dishes, exactly. Singing the, singing the lowest form of entertainment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but in this, there was a lot going on, I thought. So I was really quite impressed with it. Um, and yeah, it didn't really become a chore to finish it. I was, I was, you know, excited to see how it would, it would finish at this particular point because I, I had very little, uh, actual memory of things that happened during the film. You know, there's still, there's, I still have some problems with it. I don't think it's a perfect film. Elijah Wood, still not particularly sure about him. Um, I know the character is playing Frodo and he's a bit of a sap and everything, but. Yeah, the Hobbits sure are the Frodo. worst thing about the Lord of the Rings films, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because Viggo Mortensen and Sean Bean are great. The, those yeah. two are really good. You know, one is the sort of virtually infallible shining knight, fallen king, you know, and the other is this corruptible everyman soldier. Um, they're, they're really interesting characters to, to, to play around with during this film, and they do. They get a lot of different things to do, and as I said, the development of the characters is, is pretty good. Um, you know, same with kind of Gimli and Degolas. They they add a bit of humour at times, and Legolas perhaps not so much humour, but, it, you know, they're, they're quite interesting support characters. And Gandalf, of course. Surya McKellen was born for that role. And it's just, you know, great characters, really developed well, and it's very interesting and very entertaining. However, like I said, I've watched the first half of the two tales. I can't believe it. When I went to watch the films on DVD, it's it's split in two discs. You have the first half of the film on one disc and the second half on another disc. That's pretty that, old school. Yeah. That's pretty old school. Um, so I watched the first disc of the two tales, and f- for large portions of that, I was getting pretty bored. Um... You know, it's my old boss who used to talk to me about films and stuff. He used to call them Hobbity Tosh. And that kind of describes the two towers quite a lot. There's a lot of hobbits being just quirky and uninteresting and that. And as Steve sort of said, you know, they're the worst thing about it. I really yeah, just I've, had uh, little interest in them. Even, even though his, his journey is essentially the most important part of the story, I think from the two towers in Return of the King, you could quite happily cut out everything Frodo and Sam do until the ring goes into that m- m- volcano. That's right, yeah. Although, <laughs> I mean, saying that, you get Gollum, who plays a major role in this, well, more yeah. um, more of an important role, and his interactions with, with Frodo and Sam are some of the more, uh, some of the better parts of that film. And, you know, the stuff with the Ents, it's not too bad, it's just that it seems to drag on a little bit, and I don't know whether that's because I'm watching the extended editions or not. Um... But, that probably doesn't help. Yeah, it, doesn't help, does it? it just seems to drag on for ages. There's about 49 minutes of extra footage in the two towers, and it just oh, it seems oh, like really, it. How many extra endings are there? Uh, yeah, there is a lot of that where it feels like it's ending <laughs> and then it carries on. And I'm only on the first disc of the second film, but also, Damn. you know, Christopher Lee isn't in it as much. Saruman isn't in the two towers as much, and I really liked him in the first film. I think he's um, yeah, he's very good. Um, Christopher Lee, but obviously because he's Christopher Lee, but um, that's how it works. He is in a film and he's good. But you know, it, it it's also got a weird. It's weird how there's a notable drop off in quality from the first film, considering they were all made at the same time. You know, they made and filmed 
the, the entire Hobbit films at the same time. It's weird how they can be just such a drop-off in quality. I don't know, don't really know how that happened, because you'd expect it to just be more Maybe of the same. Bored. I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. The, the, Maybe it just lost a bit I, of direction. The thing I appreciated about the original trilogy, or the Lord of the Rings trilogy, compared to the Hobbit ones, was how they kind of just made everything. Rather than, mm. like, in, in the first Hobbit film, uh, they go into some bit where there's a load of goblins, and it's all CGI, and it's so obviously CGI. And in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, they just, like, if they wanted someone to be a goblin, they just dressed someone up as a goblin. Yeah. yeah. And you say, oh, he's lump it, you're, you're a goblin for the day, mate. And, and the one, makeup's just, brilliant. In the Hobbit, they're just like, oh, we need a goblin, right, we'll do it on the computer. And yeah. It, yeah, and they built, they built big, massive sets for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and it just looked hmm. real. And, and then the Hobbit trilogy, although I've enjoyed the films to an extent, it is quite obvious that what you're watching is fake. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, they came across a dr- like a proper dragon once, it looked nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw one in the zoo, it looked nothing like that. But the, you, you, I know what you mean, though. You get things like the guy who had bird shit on his face, the wizard with bird shit on his face in the Hobbit film, who was sledding along with his rabbits. Clearly, obviously, the only the way they could do one. that is, yeah, the crazy guy, yeah, with the, bird the one in his who used hair. to be do- the one who used to be Doctor Who, <laughs> used to be Doctor Who, yes, right, yeah. no way, yeah, the one, the wizard with the rabbit sled was, oh, which one was it? He was a Doctor Who though, was uh, he? If I he can't was. remember which which one, oh, no, I don't know which to, one he was. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm gonna have to there do my go. research for once. <laughs> that, that's blown my mind. Yeah, was his name Randagast or something? Mm, I, something to like be honest. That. The most fun I've had ever with Lord of the Rings, and I'm gonna—I've said this before. I'm gonna say it again. The Lego games are much, much better than the films. That's—I've said it. It's out there. That tends to it's, be the case, though, doesn't it? It's so, so, because so, it's so much funnier. Sylvester McCoy played Radagast. And That's blown my mind. I had no idea that was Sylvester <laughs> McCoy. And he was the seventh Doctor. He was. Yeah. Wow. So, Education. That's what this podcast is all about. Um, yeah, and, 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 and entertaining. And flawless and, research. <laughs> and preparation. Yes. The key words yeah. for fail critics, as, as it's always been. But um, um, Our motto is, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. <laughs> yeah, and stutter through the sentence, as you say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so basically, just to kind of wrap up, wrap up the Lord of the Rings stuff then. I I did enjoy it. I really enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. But I am still looking forward to the Hobbit movie, and I know they're they're tonally very different films. Um, but I still kind of think it's if anything, it's made me want to revisit the Hobbit films anyway. And I I never thought I'd want to watch them again. I enjoyed them as the big cinema spectacles as they're meant to be. But I can see I was, why people get so attached to it now. I saw the second Hobbit film twice in the cinema. Why? Because That's I watched it. I watched it once for once for the podcast, and then my girlfriend really wanted to go, and I was just sort of oh, all right then, fine. And there'll be more about her making me watch shit films <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you do a, a neat little segue into that then, Steve? Let's do, yeah, this segue is it looks like the podcast is planned. Then. It's totally planned. Exactly. Planned. We ordered yeah. this beforehand, of course. Yes. Uh, so yes, I want, my girlfriend has never seen Star Wars, any of them, except for, um, the one with Jar Jar Binks in it. So, ahead. That's not a great introduction, is it? <laughs> yeah, a, a, a year in advance of Star Wars, The Force Awakening coming out, I said, right, 
you're going to watch Star Wars films? And she said, well... And she said, have you, to me, have you seen any of the Harry Potter films? And I said, God, no, I've not. No, I've not even read one of the books. Um, so then I said, right, we'll watch the Star Wars films, and we'll watch the Harry Potter films, um, and we'll decide who's right over which is best. So it started off with me having to watch Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. If you're in America, you might be confused. Your end of the world, it's the Sorcerer's Stone. I think that's the right way around, isn't it? Yes. I thought J.K. Rowling was really protective about stuff like that, that it couldn't be changed. No? No, I'm fairly certain it was changed in America um, because the Americans didn't know what a philosopher was or something like that. (laughs) That I'm sure that wasn't entirely the reason. (laughs) Released in the United States as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm not not quite sure what the actual reasoning was behind it. I kind of agree, though, because because of what a philosopher... It's a book about wizards. Sorcerer makes more sense than philosopher. Philosopher, you think, is like some ancient Greek guy who sits there thinking about stuff. And a sorcerer is someone you think who does magic in that. So I can kind of see the sense in that myself. Um, hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I watched the film. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe looks... It's weird seeing him that... Because I haven't seen, obviously, the Harry Potter films before. So it's weird seeing him, as well as him... You know, uh, Emma Watson and Rupert Grint as like kids when you see them now and they're properly grown up and that. It's just like kind of, and, but anyway, uh, Harry Potter starts off this film as a wizard, but he doesn't know he's a wizard and then Hagrid comes and gets him and says, you're a wizard and no, goes no, on do, like no, no, that. No, 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 do the voice. I can't do any voices. <laughs> oh. You can do the voice if you like. You're a wizard, Harry. See, I mean, you see, I'm from that neck of the woods where his accent's from anyway, so I might just sound like him <laughs> by proxy. You should just have a go. What's, what's, what's the worst going to happen? I don't know. We've been, we've been, we've been, had problems with sound quality lately, so I'm not going to start doing impressions. It's only going to get worse. Um, yeah, so, um, it was fine. It wasn't bad. It wasn't, like, great. I'm not even I'm going to have to watch the other six. I'm not kind of rushing to do it right away now, but you know, I'm, it wasn't bad. I'm not kind of dreading watching the other ones at the moment. Halfway through a lot of them, I might be a bit, my opinion might change. I mean, the acting is fine. Emma Watson plays a really irritating child, but I suppose that's what the role is. So she's actually doing it well. She's not she might naturally be irritating I've never met her but she's certainly playing someone irritating this Rupert Grint plays Harry Potter's mate who's a bit thick and he does that really well um, yeah it look, I mean I can see why kids would like it um, I can see why some grown ups would like it but yeah, yeah I think that's what people sort of forget a little bit for these films they are kids films it, mm-hmm. you know they're meant to go from 11 to 18 I, I think are the, are the ages I mean yeah, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like a, a massive fan. I do own them. I have enjoyed them. I've seen most of them at the cinema because um, my brother was uh, five years old when they started coming out, so he was a good age for those sorts of films. So and he used to get me to take take them to go and see them all the time. Um, some of them are all right. I, I think the first two are like probably the weakest, to be honest. 
Uh, the third one's really good. I really enjoyed that. Well, I say really, it's not like Godfather level, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, as like a piece of entertainment, it, it's quite good. Uh, the fifth one is uh, probably one of my favourite ones, just because it's got a really shit book behind it. The book is horribly long and just full of crap, and the, and the film does a really good job of condensing it down into a really coherent uh, story. So, yeah, if you think the fifth film is bad, you, you really need to read the book, and you'll have a, you'll have a newfound appreciation for it, really. Um, I didn't really appreciate them um, splitting the last one into two films. I thought that was unnecessary, but that seems to be the way things go now. But, um, yeah, you know, they're not, you know, it's not high art. They're, they are kids' films. Which is, which is, to be honest, what I feel when people talk about Star Wars, that the um, original ones being a bit crap. Was, you know, that they are kids' films. <laughs> what, what do you expect? Yeah. I mean, this is two and a, this is two and a half hours long, though, which is long for a kids' film. They are long, yeah. Um, I don't know if, if obviously watching these as a kid compared for the first time compared to watching them as an adult for the first time. Possibly this works for Star Wars as well and, and films of a similar ilk. Maybe you don't enjoy them or get them as much if you watch them for the first time as an adult because they're not kind of aimed at you. Um, especially if you watch them outside of when they're actually released, so you kind of mm. don't get caught up in the hype as well. Yeah, because the, the thing with Star, just to compare, the, going back to the comparison though, I mean, Star Wars wasn't it. It kind of seems like a kids' film. I don't think it, that was the intention behind it when they created it, though, because at the time right. it was just nothing like it. Whereas with Harry Potter, it's obviously coming from um, uh, a, 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 a books, they're kids' uh, books, yeah, they're kids' books, no, you know, no. they're kids' I, book I series. Think, and I think Star Wars was always intended to be kind of a family adventure film, but not like a film aimed at kids. I think it's meant to have mm. a broader audience. But yeah, yeah, no one had kind of done anything on that scale before in terms of, of film. Um, no, you know, exactly. you know what I mean. Though. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of um, Phantom Menace and Jar Jar Binks. People well, are like he... giving him massive amounts of flack. He's a he's a character for the kids easily. Mm, mm. Every kid I know loved him. And they're all leaders. Yeah. So I'm going back. To that scene. <laughs> well, I'm going back to that scene in, in in space. <laughs> yeah, in space <laughs> where where Simon Pegg's character just has it out as some child who tries to buy Jar Jar Binks doll. Yeah, and, and now, that is and exactly how I feel. And now Simon Pegg spends his life on Twitter having a go at people doing things like that. So that's an interesting. <laughs> not, not about Jar Jar Binks, though. No, about lens flare mainly, I think. But well, uh, he is he is best mates with JJ yeah, exactly. now. So, it's although I don't know if he's meant to be appearing in Star Wars, I don't know if he's got to end up with a role in it. I don't think he did. I don't know. Anyway, Harry Potter. Yeah, so I don't think I've done <laughs> Harry Potter really, not You're literally, done. just metaphorically. You're uh, done. Yeah, I've done. Yeah, uh, there'll, well, there'll be some peaks and troughs there, I think. I've I've also seen Nightcrawler. I mean, Owen and Carol reviewed that a week or so, or maybe two weeks ago now. Um, but just to reiterate, yeah, really good, amazing. Jake Gyllenhaal's brilliant. Very, I think Owen might have said it, but very um, uh, Christian Bale and American Psycho kind of in mm. look and mannerisms. Mm. Um, I, don't, I can't remember if that was me, but it seems like something I might have said. So yes, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, take yeah. take credit for it. Oh uh, well, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was a bit concerned after the first twenty minutes. I was sort of watching it. Thought, is this actually going to be that good? But then it got. Yeah, it did get really, really, really good. Hmm. Picks certain, up a lot, doesn't it? There are yeah. certain parts that you sort of look in. You look at his eyes, and they're complete. There are certain things that he does, and I don't want to spoil it. But you look at his eyes, and they're just completely calm, and it's really chilling. Hmm. 
Mm, definitely, because he's I so unhinged, just, but actually yeah. in control of his unhingedness. At, and everything he says makes perfect sense. That's the scariest <laughs> bit about it. Yeah. Uh, and Carol, what have you seen this week? Uh, so this week I've seen... I, I went to cinema and see Mr. Turner, which Owen obviously reviewed last week. I don't really want to uh, bang on too much about it because uh, cause we've already spoken about it, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I really wish there had been more made of the Constable thing, though, because there was a big... Um, Turner and Constable were, were big rivals, and literally the only nod you get to it is just go... He goes, turn up. Constable, and everyone laughs in the cinema, in the art house cinema. I mean, yeah. in that knowing way. Oh, and I that's bet they did, you... didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you have, though. I was really looking forward to some more, uh, to some more Constable bands, but they they were never forthcoming. Do but, Do you um, actually know much like about Turner? Because I, I, went li- in... I did a level art. I know a little bit about. Uh, okay, so you probably could have picked up on things then that I missed. I was fully aware that because I saw it in this. Or with an audience of what I presume were stuffy Oxford types, because that's where I was. And they were sort of sniggering at bits and sort of, you know, pointing, ah, oh, Constable. And I was like, Is, who? What's that? Um, so yeah, you probably got a lot more out of it though. Did you recognise any paintings that were brought to life or anything like that? Because they oh, just yeah, went completely yeah, over my head. And I thought that, um, I, I don't really know whether this has been spoken about too much, but I thought Timothy Spall's actual because there are parts where he's actually painting the, the pictures and mm. I thought his methods of doing that were just amazing you could you could see him painting like Turner it was like watching Turner paint in front of you it was absolutely incredible um especially when he's kind of like spitting on the canvas and stuff because that, yeah. that's what he actually did um but yeah that that was phenomenal like his technique was absolutely phenomenal and I remember reading somewhere that he spent four years learning how to paint like Turner and it's it's all up there. He deserves he deserves loads of awards for it because that that is true dedication to the cause. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, I never it, got used to him saying the word daddy though. Brilliant performance, but every time he said daddy, uh, I don't think that I took don't me out of the. Him saying daddy. <laughs> he kept calling his dad daddy, and I was like, no, don't say daddy. <laughs> it's just too weird. <laughs> I think that probably stuck in your head a lot more. Than yeah. In <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I thought that was just that was phenomenal. Um, especially in the later years where he's kind of, cause it's one thing to learn, learn how to paint in your own style. You have, like, finding your own style. Mm-hmm. But learning how to paint in someone else's style is really, really difficult. And it's something that all GCSE and A-level art students have to do before you sort of prove yourself worthy of a, of any reasonable grade. Which is something I do not agree with, but that's, that's <laughs> completely another topic. Um, so yeah, it, it's very, very difficult to paint in someone else's style and, and to get it that right. And he got it absolutely spot on. It was, it was phenomenal. Um, yeah, just as an aside, the, the constable thing apparently didn't happen. Um, <laughs> it's just something that they made up for the film. Uh, but that's, uh, but it was quite an interesting, quite an amusing anecdote. But yeah, I thought the, um, the performances were superb, especially, um, the lady who played his housekeeper, whose mind's escaped, his name's escaped me at the moment. But I thought she was really, really good because mm-hmm. there were all these rumours about, the affair between them and it was sort of alluded to a little bit but not not too much it wasn't too overbearing because no one really knows mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I thought it was an amazing film some great performances especially Timothy Spall I thought he was absolutely phenomenal um, yeah and very much enjoyed it um, and the other film I've watched this week I haven't watched many um, on Saturday night I think I sat down and, and went through the, the EPG and on Sci-Fi uh, Scream 2 was showing 
So apparently they showed screen the original screen week before. They're showing screen three this weekend, which isn't my recommendation, by the way, because it's not very good. But um, screen two is just... I, I love screen two. I've got a real soft spot for it. I think I actually saw the second one before I saw the first for some reason. I think I went to see it in the cinema, underage, obviously. Um, and it's just... It's great. I love it. It really plays into all the tropes of the, of the sequel. So where the original kind of goes through all the, the tropes of the, of the horror film, you know, like the person, like the girl isn't a virgin anymore, so she's going to die, you know, the, the film geek's going to die, etc., etc. Um, the second one plays into all of them just much, it, it's much bigger. Um, obviously, they realise very early on they're in the sequel, so someone reels off the, the, the rules, <laughs> like the body count's always going to be bigger, there's going to be more kind of like carnage. Um, and they have this nice kind of film within the film as well, which I always found really funny, was that um, in the first one, uh, Sydney says that oh, with my like, we'll get Tori Spelling to play me. And in the second one, she is actually played by Tori Spelling, <laughs> which I thought was just great sense of humour by Tori Spelling to turn up. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's like the film within the film where, where they're kind of recounting the, the first one. You've got all the kind of like the horror tropes in there as well. Obviously, you've got the big star getting getting bumped off really early on, and it's just it's just great. I'm a big fan of of sequels that just play everything much much bigger, and and just go all out. And uh, and and this is one of those. I think it's just it's fantastic. It's great. You know, it, 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 again, it's not high art, but it's um, in the genre. I think it's one of the one of the best. Not as good as the first one. That's the that's the rule that they don't quite ever get round to. Uh, to explaining is that the second one isn't ever going to be as good as mm. the first, but um, yeah, just some some great stuff in there, some great lines as well. Like when when uh, the killer asks Randy what his favourite scary movie is, and he says Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably my favourite one. But um, yeah, great great horror film, great comedy horror. I think. I've, I'm okay. sure I've seen it, but I don't remember. I do remember the first one was pretty good. I watched it again not too long ago. I think actually the first one appeared in a decade in horror last month um, oh, yes, for the nineties. Yeah, yeah. It was a great I think film. Andy picked this, it, but this one isn't quite as good, but it's it's bigger. It's, mm. It seems it seems also quite funny that Scream, being a parody of the horror genre, spawned Scary Movie, which is a parody of a parody of a horror genre. Yeah, the first scary movie isn't that bad. It's quite funny, but no, uh, but then, they but get then, worse. Yeah. yeah, and then scary movie spawned a whole different, like a whole line of uh, oh. parody movies, like epic movie and yes. all that Superhero kind of day movie, movie and all that kind of stuff. And it, none of them were funny ever. No. They were all really bad. I don't keep Americans must find them funny. Must have a different sense of humor because they were awful, but kept getting made. I I know a lot of people they. The thing is, they get made for buttons, and as long as you can get a few people in to watch them, they're going to make money. That's that's the horrible truth. They're, I do know people, it's not just Americans, I do know people over here that go to watch them. They're, they're made for idiots, they're the comedy version of Transformers. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> let's not say yeah. things we can't take back. <laughs> I don't want to take it back. <laughs> Uh, but, okay, that, that's part, um, part two wrapped up. Uh, after this break, we will have our review of Interstellar. In part three, then, we are going to review the new Christopher Nolan film, Interstellar, starring Matthew McConaughey, Michael Caine, Anne Hathaway, uh, 
and a cast of many, many others. That then was a clip of Interstellar. Um, I know Carol hasn't seen this, and to avoid spoiling the film for her and anyone else who hasn't seen it yet, we will be doing a spoiler alert after uh, this kind of non-spoiled review. Oh, thank you. Um, so, yes, what have we... Owen, what did you think of the film? Um, and did it live up to expectations? Yeah, okay. First question, um, what did I think of the film? I thought it was very Nolan, if that can yeah. now be a phrase. It is very Nolan, isn't it? Yeah, There's slightly I, I, iffy dialogue, lots of exposition, talk, you know, lots of characters speaking expositional dialogue. Um, absolutely astounding visual element to it. It looks absolutely fantastic. And there's about a million different ideas and concepts that are all squeezed into one story. And not all of those concepts are actually that original. Um, no, so no, yeah, no, Nolan, Nolan needs to be an adjective for describing Nolan films. <laughs> he, yeah, I am calling yeah. that. It's a Nolan. Um, yeah. But yeah. The, sec- the second question, I suppose, um, is did it live up to, to expectations? Yes, I think is about fair. It didn't really exceed what I expected it to do, and it wasn't worse than I thought it might be. So, yeah, kind of just exactly hit the button. Um, I thought it was a very good film with flaws. I mean, I don't know how you, you, you felt about it, Steve. Yeah, it was, it was very good, visually very good, actors doing well with what they had to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, some some nice ideas, some bad ideas, um, some ideas very poorly executed, some things that annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but overall, yes, a, a very very good film that yeah. I in, I enjoyed. Um, but I don't know how much enjoyment I'll get out of repeat viewings, which yeah. is a bit unusual for Nolan films because generally, you know. I will watch Nolan films more than once and enjoy them more than once. Mm-hmm. This one, I'm kind of thinking, do I actually want to watch it again? Yeah. Even though I did like it and enjoy it, and it was, and it, and it is it? And it three hours. Feel like a, yeah, and it didn't really feel like I was in there for three hours, except maybe for the last twenty minutes. Yeah, um, three hours. Yeah, so I think it's, I think it's two hours fifty minutes. So the film is obviously with trailers and ads and that you're going to be in the screen for about three and a half hours. A long time. Felt like a long time. But um, I suppose the thing about it is though, um, with other Nolan films, they're not... Something like Inception or uh, The Prestige, although there is kind of twists and turns throughout those, a lot of it is just really an entertaining blockbustery type film, isn't it? Whereas the story story to Interstellar, which is about um, a father called Cooper who's played by Matthew McConaughey. Um, he's father of two two people, and it's set in the distant future, and it's then about his relationship to his daughter, who he becomes estranged from when he volunteers to do this mission, going into outer space to find another world for humankind to, to either move to or for their species to to continue um, on. So the, the story, it's because it's so centralised around his relationship to his daughter... There's not a lot of rewatch value to be gained from that, I don't think. There's no. n- there's nothing you're going to learn from watching it again that you 
didn't know from the first time watching it. There, there's nothing in the plot that you've kind of missed the first time round. No. Well, well, possibly there might be. I don't want to give anything away because obviously Carol's here, she's not heard it, and there's people going to be listening who yeah. presumably haven't seen it. But, don't worry so too the, much. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there are things that perhaps if I did rewatch it, I might pick up on, but they're not around the central story, which is, to, as I say, to do with uh, Murph, his sister, his daughter, who's named after Murphy's Law, which is, you know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, um, the, the the actual law, not the TV show. Not the TV show. No. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't name it after Murphy's Law, um, the TV show. But, you know, to do with, to do with that, it, there's nothing else that can be expanded on. On a rewatch, I don't think so. Although it's done really well, I did like the story. It did, did get a bit sentimental towards the end, um, as sort of these big Hollywood films so often do. Um, particularly one scene that no, I'm not going to talk about. It. I'm not going to. It, but it, it it is very sentimental the, as you get towards that closing twenty minutes, which I think you've already touched on, Steve. You yeah, weren't too I, keen I, on. I suppose you could say it gets a Hollywood ending. Of a, yeah, in a manner of speaking, there's a very Hollywood-esque ending to it. Um, but, uh, you know, what I really wanted to see, and it's just the failing of a lot of films that are similar. Contact, for example, again, is a film that deals with, if you've ever seen it from from the 90s, with Jodie Foster in it, and Matthew McConaughey as well, he's in it as well. Um, it's about a father-daughter relationship, again. And what you really watch these types of films for, okay, that part of the story can be quite interesting, it can represent other things, but the film's called Interstellar. Let's just have more to do with him trekking through space looking for different planets to inhabit. You know? That's just that's just Star Trek, though. <laughs> well, it would be if he starts going around buffing lots of different alien species, females, yeah. Then it I would mean, be. Basically, yeah, but... Uh... Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, pe- I think people could be misled by the title and the trailer to what they're hmm. expecting from this film. I mean, it does deliver in, to an extent what the title and the trailer says and shows. Hmm. But yeah, with, with obviously what we touched on the father-daughter relationship, the, the the title of the film could kind of for people who don't kind of so some people go to to films maybe will willingly, maybe ignorantly blind, they don't look at reviews, they don't read reviews, they go see a, see a film, see what's made by, see who's in it, and think, right, I'm going to see that, and you <laughs> can see where the title might be a bit, you know, kind of misleading yeah. to what, what one of the overall themes, major themes of the film is about. Although, saying that, I mean, like I said, I, I kind of found the film to be almost exactly how I expected it to be, which was, so there was a lot of Nolan backlash, by the way. Um, on Twitter as soon as the, the embargo was lifted on Interstellar. Lots of people were slating this film. But I still enjoyed it. I still think it was good. And the trailer, to me, said exactly what sort of film it was going to be. Um, and I don't have a problem with it being what it is, which is the story of a father and daughter that also has some sort of, you know, universe trekking that's, that's thrown in there as well as some hokey science and some science that could be believable but I'm not really an astrophysicist so I don't know if it is true or not but then you know that's kind of how the film works it's similar to um, in that sense we watched a film earlier in the year Godzilla which spends a lot of time 
explaining stuff that just doesn't need explaining, you know. Mm. Um, a lot of the science and the laws and how this could actually be possible. Who gives a crap, honestly? Who cares how it's literally possible for Godzilla to exist? That, nobody who's watching that cares about the, the, the finer details. The, the same with Interstellar. I don't really care too much about the exact sciences behind it. Give me a gist, give me an idea, and that's fine. And I can use my imagination, I can, you know, accept that some things probably aren't actually possible, but I don't care. I just want it to be an entertaining blockbuster. With with science fiction films, you kind of need to, um, or the people kind of need to accept that it's science fiction, so the science is going to be a bit... You know, it's it be might not off. be. Yeah. It might not be accurate. It might not accurately describe the inner workings of a black hole. It's science fiction. They might have made some stuff up. Get over it. Yeah. Well, it's like one of the criticisms that came out about gravity um, last year was that oh, that couldn't actually happen. That's not how it works in space. <laughs> well, it made for some nice visual effects and uh, you know a fairly compelling story. So, do, is that important? Does that matter? And and science changes all the time. They're always learning new stuff. So all you've got to do is go, well, that's set in the future a bit. (laughs) A couple of of years ago, you didn't know that about that. So in the future, they know this about this. Precisely. And of course, they do take some liberties anyway. You know, the whole thing about how wormholes work and what a black hole is. And some of it I watched and I thought, that probably isn't true. But like I said, didn't really care. I thought it was a very entertaining film. Um, and some of the special effects they used, talking about the, the black holes and things, um, it did remind me a little bit of uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. You know the bit which is towards the end, where it's just lots of lights and it seems like a tunnel that goes on forever and ever and ever? Yeah. Some of the effects reminded me of that, and I quite liked it. I thought they did did it uh, very well, and it looked a bit like gravity as well at times. Probably because yeah. it was set in space and you had planets floating around and stars and stuff, but I thought it, it looked very good. Um, but um, yeah, speaking of gravity, it was actually released on the exact same date that Gravity was released on by the same studio, and Gravity and Space play a major part in both of those films. You know, mm. both released on the seventh I mean, of November, and obviously Gravity, completely different film, other than kind of the space but completely di- setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. I thought Gravity, obviously made for three D, visually amazing, plot wise, just a bit. If it wasn't, yeah. so, it wasn't so spectacular looking, it would have been an, uh, just a bang average sci-fi film. But it just oh, looked, definitely. it looked phenomenal. It was, it did, it looked absolutely amazing. And uh, I think there are comparisons between the way that looked and the way this looks. Obviously, that was in 3D as well. And watching Gravity on a big screen in 3D was probably the best way to see it. Whereas I can't imagine it having much. Um, yeah. You know, the same impact on a, on a TV screen in 2D. Yeah, I, f- I think watching Gravity on, on TV, it's a small screen, is just yeah. going to be just sort of so underwhelming. Precisely. Like, yeah. People yeah. people who watch Gravity for the first time on a television, they didn't see it in a the cinema, they're going to be, what's the big, what's the fuss? Yeah, I mm. can absolutely understand that. I've ne- I, I don't have any desire to watch it again, not at the cinema. No, me neither. A bit like Avatar, really. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, but you know, Interstellar again. I think is a very cinematic movie. Um, 
to see to see on the big screen and some of the scenes that, that that took place you know again it's very nolan in the way that it looks because it almost makes it look real even though you know it isn't and some of the, going back to again some of the effects and the way they were it's it's pretty impressive it's pretty impressive and to see it on the big screen and and the way that the effects are all put together and you know, you probably wouldn't get as much out of this on a smaller screen. However, it would probably work a lot better than than Gravity would because the story's much stronger. It's got a much stronger story. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I did ask people on Twitter earlier through our face uh, our Twitter account. I would ask them on Twitter through our Facebook account. That's what I almost said. Then. <laughs> so like, them, it's not my granddad. <laughs> I went onto the Facebook and then I um I googled Twitter. Um, but no, I. I <laughs> I've asked people on Twitter um, to kind of talk about Nolan in general because you know he divides opinion. Like Nolan's a director at the moment. Um, he's quite a huge amount of films in the IMD top two fifty. But like I said, there was a bit of backlash for Interstellar, and there's lots of people who don't actually like him that much and think he's a bit overrated. But I did ask people what their favourite Nolan films were. Overwhelming majority. What do we think it was? Probably um, Dark Knight, wasn't it? Yeah. Directing the Dark Knight? I'm going to say the Dark Knight, um, and then if we're going non-Batman, the Prestige. Oh, that's my favourite, is Prestige. Pre- the Prestige, seven people chose Prestige, uh, chose Prestige as their favourite. Seven people chose it. By far and away the winner. Inception was closest with four people saying that was their favourite. Memento got three people. Nobody said the Dark Knight. Nobody no said Batman Begins. No, we had um, at Ross Miller, who said, I'd pick The Prestige over The Dark Knight, although his favourite was Memento. But he said, not to tell anyone, so now I'm saying it on our podcast. He ah, prefers... Sorry, <laughs> yeah, so I did. He said, um, Dark Knight Rises is better than The Dark Knight. Which is quite a controversial thing to say, isn't it? No, I imagine there's many That's people on his claim. side. Yeah, but nobody, no, nobody picked The Dark Knight, and it's currently fourth best movie of all time, according to the IMDb. It's top yeah, well, not, is it? That, no, it's, it's not. not. It's without a shadow of a doubt, it ain't. No. But it's a very good film. I do really like The Dark Knight, and I still think that's probably my favourite, Nolan. I mean, you just said The Prestige. Prestige is second, because... Well, yeah, I mean, do you want to talk about The Prestige a little bit, Carol? Uh, yeah, well, I, I really like The Prestige. I... Basically, I've watched it more than I've watched The Dark Knight. Uh, I think I've seen The Dark Knight like three or four times, I think. But um, I, I do really like Prestige, uh, mainly because it, it, it succeeds in doing a very rare thing. It's better than the book it's based on, in my opinion. Um, if anyone's read the book, they'll know that the ending is, is very different. And I actually prefer the ending. I, I don't really want to give it away for anyone who hasn't seen the film or read the book. But... Uh, I, I much prefer the ending in the in the film. I think it's much mm. much more interesting. Um, it's quite open, isn't it? The ending, yeah. Because you're not sure exactly <laughs> yeah, what you've exactly. seen is real or not. It's yeah. it's very clever. I really like that bit, Prestige. It, it's not often that in the cinema I I guess what's going to happen. I did guess in the Prestige. I haven't read the book at this point. I hasten to add. Um, I did guess, but. You know, I was obviously quite proud of myself. I don't <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, also, you know, it didn't really matter. It was just like the, the mm. it was the guessing there that that counted. Yeah. Um, and I and I just think it's great. I think uh, Christian Bale's really good. Um, I think Hugh Jackman's excellent in it. I think that was kind of his po- first post uh, X Men film where he started to 
you know, people started to rem- hmm. remember that he was actually a serious actor at one point. Um, so, well, you say yeah. that, but he did do Swordfish, you know. I, I have a soft spot for Swordfish, I have to admit. I do quite like Swordfish. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> not, not even why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's got a great soundtrack. Um, yeah, it's a okay. stupid film, but it's, uh, it's I'll terrible. happily sit and watch it. Anyway, we're not talking about it, we're talking about it for street. We're talking about Nolan um, and the Prestige. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, I just think, I think it looks gorgeous as well. The, uh, kind of the old school, the old London town, like 18th hmm. century London, and all the, um, all the sets that they use, so all the, all the theatres that they use for the various performances. And I, I think it's, I think it's really, really good. It's definitely my favourite Nolan film. But I, I think Dark Knight is probably second, um, Third, I think I, I don't know, because I do like Memento and Batman Begins. I think they're probably joint third of them cheap. Yeah, I think, I I think with Memento, Memento's one of those films that I think a lot of people, I mean, it is a good film, it's a very good film, but because of, compared to what he's done since, considering how much smaller scale the production was, and to actually get such a good film out of it, it's pretty impressive, and you know, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, he won't be able to top that by doing massive 165 million dollar space epics. You know, thing is, if he was to make, in, uh, m- m- sorry, Memento now, I think he'd actually make a worse job of it. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, I I think the the whole kind of the whole reason it's so good is is because it's such a stripped back production, and you know, you wouldn't be getting Guy Pearce, and he's really really good in hmm. in the film. So you wouldn't be getting people like that. You'd be getting, you know, your massive Hollywood stars in. Probably Michael Caine in there somewhere as well. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Know, he's, he's a, he's a <laughs> yeah. fan of Michael Caine, isn't he? Definitely. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he'd do a better job of it. I think he'd do a worse job of it now. To be honest, mm. I, I think I hadn't really, really considered that, film. but yeah, yeah, that's a very good point, actually. You know, is he actually capable of making a film like that anymore? It's difficult, um, isn't it? Even something like he, Insomnia he probably was... is, but he's just kind of indulge too much to be honest. I mean the, the Dark example. the Dark Knight Rises has got too much dumb stuff in it to kind yeah. of be, hmm. to be but who's going to say you know no one at Warner Brothers is going to say no Chris that's really stupid how why, How long did it take him to make the giant bat signal on the bridge when, it, when he could have been spending <laughs> that time far more wisely exactly you know stuff like that yeah, yeah, he's, he's Batman like, he's, he he's can golden do what... boy at the moment no one's going to no one's going to cross him so <laughs> I, I think he is in danger of slightly getting a little bit overindulgent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only Actually, tell. one of the things people always bring up about him is he needs a really good scriptwriter to work with. Um, and I know it was his brother Jonathan, I think, who worked with him on the story yeah. for Interstellar. And... Actually, they did a very good job, to be honest. Like I say, he's still got the same problems of expositional dialogue a lot of what people say to each other is to explain what's going on or what's about to happen and how they're gonna make this thing work and stuff like that but um actually considering it's it's actually quite good you know they get through a lot more it doesn't dumb it down too far when a lot of other films i've talked uh, mentioned contact contact does a bit of dumbing down itself uh the robert zemeckis film but they don't really do so much of that with Interstellar. Whereas in Dark Knight Rises, I kind of got the impression it was made for people who, um, quite weren't really the most clever audience in the world. Well, mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw some facts at you now, cause, uh, Go for they, it. David Goya, who, who was involved in Dark Knight Rises, and also the legendary Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, <laughs> was also, <laughs> don't laugh, 
was also yeah, it just um, was good massively enough. involved in um, Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. So, you know, it, it's the same person. And I think it was obviously mm. Nolan and his brother as well. So, yeah. You know, there out, you out the greatest person, shit may flow. Wow. Um, yeah, so that really ends our discussion on Interstellar before we go into spoiler alert. Um, but before we end the main bulk of the podcast, we've obviously got our recommendations uh, for next week. I'm going with uh, resisting the temptation to go with ITV3 at uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, Columbo Murder with Too Many Notes. I have decided to go for more for at 5 past 11 in the morning. Uh, on Saturday and go for Escape from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> nice. That's the uh, one say in the 70s, isn't it? What's he, what what's are you going for? What am I going for? I recommend it every time it's on TV because I do like it and um, even if you've seen it before, re-watch it because it, you get more weight of it every time. A Field in England on Film 4, one forty-five am Friday. So, definitely worth a re-watch. Definitely going to watch that. Definitely going to record it. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to say to people: if you haven't seen it, record it. Don't stay up for it because it's one (laughs) It's very divisive. You'll probably either love it or think, "Why the hell have I stayed up till nearly two in the morning to watch this bloody thing?" So (laughs) I I, 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 I probably recommend recording it. Yeah. Um, And Carol. Having said that, though, I don't know whether you guys have seen this. uh, The advertorial thing that went out on the adult swim at four o'clock in the morning the other the other day called too many cooks no i'm going to tweet a link to it it's the most mental 11 minutes you'll ever spend and you've got to wonder (laughs) people's like watching it at four in the morning what the hell were they thinking at that point it's it's completely mental but um but my recommendation and i'm looking at the the sexual still still but for at the moment actually because it came out yesterday and i went and picked mine up tonight is uh, x-men days of future past is out on blu-ray uh although it's been out on digitally for like three weeks or something stupid and that's why blu-rays are, are dying people but um yes it's it's now out on blu-ray so you can enjoy it in all it all its sexy still but glory it, it's, <laughs> like, still, it does look amazing to be honest um yes and it was a very very enjoyable film and one of my favorites of this year excellent so yeah that's all for um the main bulk of this podcast um i thanks everybody who's contributed anyway and thanks to everyone who continues to listen um as we get over our few sound issues, hopefully. <laughs> and yes, join us again next week where we will have reviews of the imitation game, among other things. Um, but yes, at this point, Carol is leaving us because she's not seen Interstellar. Um, Matt, La- Matt Lamborn <laughs> is possibly leaving us if he's not seen Interstellar. Yes, yeah, Matt, Matt, this is, yes, Matt, this is spoiler alert coming up where me and Owen will take a more in-depth look at the film. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend not listening on any further. If you have seen it, join us for a bit of extended chat on that. So, spoiler alert, where we have a little bit of a more in-depth look at Interstellar. So, again, if you didn't listen the first time, if you haven't seen the film and don't want it spoiled for you, don't listen on past this point. Um, so, I suppose, I mean, the main bone of contention with some people for this film is is the ending, probably the last 20 minutes or so. Um, basically, from the moment Matthew McConaughey's character Cooper falls into the black hole... Yes. Um, is, ...is when it seems to 
deteriorate for some people. Uh, I'd agree. It kind of takes it from from an eight eight and a half film to kind of a seven film out of ten. If that makes sense. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, Turns it to like from from very good, bordering great to just like good. <laughs> yeah, and I think that a lot of people have felt felt the same way. Um, I mean, I kind of like the ending anyway, as it is. Uh, but you're right. It, what happens is the the film it nosedives a little bit because suddenly it stops being about um, the the actual exploration. It stops being about a journey, and then it goes back to some rubbish about how them. The people they keep referring to as them who send the signal in the first place that sends McConaughey and, his, and Anne Hathaway and all them into space. It's suddenly, it's revealed that them, uh, refers to the human race who've evolved in the future to live in the fifth dimension. It, it's, it's, it's not a case of them and us, them is us. Them is us. Yeah. Them is us. Them, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I didn't really mind that because paradoxes are a, are a staple of sci-fi time travel films. Yeah, in some ways, it kind of it kind of made it better than if it was just aliens. Mm, because you know, so, 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 so I suppose the alien. idea is they found the wormhole near Saturn. The wormhole was put there by future humans who had evolved to the level where they could put a wormhole there. But the only way humans could have got that far evolved was to go through the wormhole in the first place and continue the human race. But paradoxes mm. happen all through sci-fi films that involve time travel. Probably from yeah. anything, in, from from Time Bandits to Primer. That's right. And also stuff like what... <laughs> yeah, Time Bandits is a good one. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, stuff like... What was the wormhole at Saturn? Could they not have put it a bit closer, maybe? Or, you know... I know there's this, the thing about it that they can't really communicate. They haven't got a way. They've evolved beyond the ways of just communicating in in our third dimension, or even through the fourth dimension of, you know, time and space and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of overlooked those, and I didn't really mind it. What was a bit odd was how then he went back and he was able to filter through all these these um, events that all take place from behind a bookcase in his daughter's bedroom, and he does stuff that he knows she will have already found out, you know, like spelling out the word stay. Well, he knows that's what already happened. So and he knows that he can't stay. And he so knows why is he trying to make himself stay? Yeah. You know, I kind of get, oh, it's, it's desperation. He's trying to change things. But if he's already figured out this is how time works, then surely he knows that that's not going... I don't know. I don't know. So some of it is forgivable. But then... It gets to be completely, like, like we said earlier, sentimental, and it gets to be a bit silly. And the bit with him being found floating around in space, yeah, he would have frozen to death. But and then going to watch his his daughter, who's now three times older than him, die, and then yeah. flying back off into happiness to find out halfway. Yeah, that's just all I mean, a bit like, did we need that? You know, yeah, it's like. What's the point of it? It kind of, it kind of de- took a lot away from even what going to see his daughter die when she's hundreds of years old or whatever she is. It kind of detracted from the whole son daughter mm. relationship mm. in the film. 
And the stuff around here, um, Tars, who suddenly, the, the, you know, the little monolith thing with an iPad in its middle, is now suddenly his best mate. It's a bit weird. I don't know. I like, I thought Tars and, and, um, was it Case or Chase? Case. Case, I think. I, I thought, I thought they were brilliant. They were very good. Tars. I mean, yeah. the Tars, it Tars is lying right near the start when they're in the ship saying, great, more slaves for my, uh, for my robot, <laughs> my robot race or something. More yeah. slaves for my, my robot dominion or something like that. It was brilliant. It, I thought, it was I thought good. those two kind of stole the show a bit. To they did. Extent. Yeah. Um, there was a lot, it was a, the only bit of buddy comedy in the whole film, wasn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the whole bit's about changing his humour setting and his honesty setting and, yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff was was quite well done. It probably did need a bit of comedy in there because it was a bit super serious oh, at times. It could it could have very easily gone down the super serious, uh, yeah. schmaltzy, actually not very good route. But you know the humour lifted it a bit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so it, it was the ending that kind of let me down a little bit. Also, one of the other things that I wasn't particularly keen on, um. And I think I, don't, I think you felt the same as me actually was to do with Matt Damon's character. Yeah, which was which, he, was, a, which was a nice surprise because I didn't know he was in the film. <laughs> me neither, and I, I didn't even recognise him. There he is. <laughs> yeah, it took me a little while to realise that it was Matt Damon because he looks a bit chubbier than he normally does in these roles. He, he did, in some ways, he did look like a man who'd been left alone on a planet <laughs> for years. Yeah, but he seems to have had too much food as well for some reason. Yeah, what has he been eating? You can't yeah. live that long on frozen clothes. But yeah. um Yeah, he's not the same guy who was in Elysium, put it that way. No, but, he um, turned out to be a massive dick. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean the twist with his character I kind of saw coming. He yeah. knows a little bit about what's really going on and actually he's gonna screw them over at some point. The second that he mentions walking out into the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know there's going to be a madness. fight. Yeah. He had space madness. Yeah. He's, he's, he's lost it, I'm afraid. But. Yeah. It was a little bit too obvious compared to some of the other stuff that was a bit more subtle which towards is, things which, like Anne Hathaway's motivations about trying to find this guy because she had a relationship with him. Yeah. Was but, a little bit, it was done, handled a little bit more carefully. But. It was a bit yeah. of a shame that kind of Matt Damon's character his motivations were so obvious because his involvement in the film, they managed to keep it kind of under wraps quite well, I think. Yeah. There was no, did. He didn't seem to be billed anywhere. It didn't seem to be, they didn't ever saw him any trailers or anything. Obviously, yeah. massive, massive name. And just kind of pops up out of nowhere in what is basically an extended cameo. Although, brilliant death scene. I thought the way yeah. they killed him off was fantastic as he sort of, <laughs> Pressed the, the, you know, the lock on the door and suddenly, yeah. blasted into a million pieces. That was pretty, pretty cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so Matt Damon's character could have been done a little bit better. And also part of that did seem to be a little bit like filler. I don't know, I don't know what you thought. Um, a bit of padding around them actually deciding what they're going to do and finding out secrets about Actually, what is uh, Michael Caine's plan all along? Yeah, didn't didn't necessarily um, need to be there, but I don't know. Yeah, um, I kind of wanted to know more about why the Earth was in the state it was in as well. well I feel like we have a lot of science fiction films that don't kind of explain the backstory of something. It's kind of just yeah, just, yeah. It, 
But that that's not really a problem with, with the film itself. It's just kind of, I always like to know, well, why, <laughs> what's, what's going on? Why is it like this? Yeah. What's happened? Why is it, why are there no armies? And why we got, everyone's got to be farmers now? And why, why is this India Air Force drone such a big deal? And, and how does stuff. NASA still actually get money? Really? How are they st- even if it's a massive sham, how are they still getting any funding to continue to build a station that's ultimately useless? Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. So some plot holes, I guess. Well, if it's even a plot hole, we've had that discussion before as well. What actually constitutes a plot hole? Um, but anyway, we probably won't go over old ground in that regard. No. I mean, what did you think of Michael Caine and Jessica Chastain's role together then? Because um, his death didn't seem to be as impactful on her personally as perhaps it could have. I know he's on his deathbed and he reveals that it's all fake. But again, it was just one of those things like, okay, now Michael Caine's dead. Move on. That's it. The rest yeah, of the story. Yeah, you, you never, you never really got to see anyone build a relationship with his character, did you? I mean, no. you obviously assumed that Murph was, you know, because he not rescued her, but took a great interest in her from yeah, from Coop's daughter. To, mm. you know, took her, took her in effectively, taught her. She was already quite a bright kid, but you know, taught her, brought her up. Um, yeah, yeah and maybe a bit more around his his relationship to to. So you don't, so you yeah. don't really kind of get an idea that a real feel for a relationship between them. You never really get a relationship that is like one of Coop's best mates, and they go really far mm. back either. Even though they obviously do. So when he dies, it's kind of no real. Dick, no. You know. And I took, uh, uh, moving away from negatives as well, though, one of the, the relationships I did like was that between um, between Coop, between Matthew McConaughey and his son, played by Casey Affleck, and the videos that were sent to him. I know they all come in one particular scene. Yeah. Uh, but I liked that. I liked the way that was done. I thought that it gave a lot of history in a very short amount of time, and it moved everything on and gave new... Um, New context to certain things, so I liked how that was done. I liked that. Was that I liked how that was done. I didn't particularly like the relationship between Murph and Casey Affleck's character and their family, his family. Hmm. I thought that was just a bit shoehorned in there again to, it was, give yeah. her, to give her a kind of more human feel or more of a character when you could have really done that with with just what you see between her. And her dad, and what you know of her and her dad, you didn't really need that to kind of add in to no. say, oh, she is a real person with real feelings. She loves her brother and her niece, or nephew, and daughter, sister-in-law, or whatever. It's sort of. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair point. I think. Nice to see Topher uh, Grace back, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> didn't know what he'd been up to for a while, but there he was. Yeah, just popping up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's good. So, I mean, where would you kind of place it amongst Nolan's films then? Interstellar. Um, would you think, it's, do you think it's better than Dark Knight or Inception or? No. At the minute, it's I still it on IMDb's top 250. So it's, it's up there pretty high. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe that'll kind of average itself out more over it time. I think yeah. the ending disappointed me that much that I'm still not sure I've seen. I don't think I've seen Memento. If I have it, it was such a long time ago. I've certainly enjoyed it more than The Dark Knight Rises, possibly more than Batman Begins, but I don't think more than um, The Dark Knight or The Prestige, um, mm. or possibly even Inception as well. Um, yeah. I need to watch okay. Inception again because it did confuse the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I did like it. So, yeah, I think Interstellar out of his films is going to rank somewhere between between middle and bottom. Yeah. I think it's one of those films that is probably his like best, if you talk from an objective standpoint, because it's got all the great visuals that we've talked about. It's got all the great... Um, you know, the story is done... Pretty well, actually. Yeah. Um, there's a nice balance of the humour with Tars and, and McConaughey's character, um, with Cooper. Performances are all good. However, it's one of those that at the same time, I couldn't really call it a favourite movie. No. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, but, it's probably his best, but actually not my favourite. But saying it ranks like towards the middle or bottom of your, of, of our favourite, um, Christopher Nolan films, then he called him Kevin Nolan then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan films. It doesn't mean that it's a bad film. It, no. It's, it more reflects on a, a generally high standard of films that he's made, that that would rank towards the middle slash bottom of films that he's made, in our opinion. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good. I can't think of a film of his I've seen that I haven't liked. So No, no. You know. It hasn't made me think that he's not going to continue to make good films either. I think they're still, as good as Interstellar is, as good as I think The Prestige and The Dark Knight are, um, I, it, the only thing it's done is made me think he's still got his best film yet to come. I think there's still something else that perhaps in maybe 10, 15 years when he's knocked out a few other little films. Something needs to something, click, doesn't it? Something just needs it, to, I think, I think he needs somebody quite strong-willed next to him to say Christopher, that's a dumb idea. Yeah, Christopher, yeah. that's not very good. He seems to be, Studio seems to have a lot of faith in him and just letting him go go on, go along with things. Mm. And whether mm. he needs whether it's somebody from the studio whether, you know, an executive, whether it's a producer, whether it's somebody writing the script with him, somebody needs to sort of be say to him, that's a bit silly. That's or yeah. that doesn't work. Um, and there's yeah. other there's other directors have had that. I mean, I suppose in their later careers, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have had that from to an extent with films that they've made. And they need someone sat next to them going, "Look, that's fucking dumb. Don't do it." <laughs> uh, exactly. And, but you know, and they still make good films. So maybe maybe Christopher Nolan needs the same. And if he does that, he could make you know the you know his best ever film and one that will be considered as great because I think he at the moment he's good not great but has the potential to be great yes I would I would agree with that he's, well I don't know actually maybe I, I still think of him as one of my favourite directors yeah I still enjoy all of his films I don't like I said I don't think I've seen any that I would wouldn't even consider as just okay I think I've liked or loved all of his output so far I mean, I um, suppose I can't if, say if, you want, lot, if you want to bring back everything to football, which I'm fantastic at doing, <laughs> he's, he's he's not in the the Messi or Ronaldo class of player. 
but he's the step below that. He's like Suarez or Bale, isn't he? Yes. That's what yes. we're talking. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably the most accurate way of, of <laughs> drawing an analogy to that. Um Exactly. Yeah, so if you're if you're American and listening to this one, though we have American listeners, he's not Michael Jordan, but he's he's maybe someone who's who's not quite as good as Michael Jordan, but still very good at basketball. <laughs> I thought you were going to give a name then. No, I'm, uh, I can't help no, you right there. I'm afraid. I only know no. I only know basketball players that were in Space Jam, and I've heard of Kobe Bryant. Oh, and, and Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman's. I don't know. Was he in Space Jam? No, he was the one who but, went to yeah, North Korea, though, wasn't yeah. he? He did us, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, also did a film. Uh, with John, anyway, John I think now. that's a good. Anyway, moving on, moving on. End the podcast <laughs> yeah. now. Um, but again, thanks everyone who's listened and contributed, and we'll be back around the same time next week.